Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Make Your Own Damn Podcast, a podcast where we look back on the wonderful, wacky films of Troma Entertainment. I am one half of your hosts. I am Lucas Mangum, and uh, with me today, as always, is Mr. Jeff Burke. How are you today, Jeff? Oh, my God, I am so excited to talk about today's movie. I am so excited. I Just going to get out of the bat, I fucking adore this movie. I, uh, I do as well, and I... Um... I completely forgot how much I adored this movie until I uh, revisited it. Um, we're talking, of course, about Terror Firmer, which came out in 1999. Correct, yeah. So a couple years after Tromeo and Juliet. And I don't know. I, I think, like, a lot of a lot of people cite Tromeo and Juliet as, you know, the the uh the trauma resurgence beginning but 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 you um and 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 i'm sure others uh cite terror firmer as when uh, uh trauma started to find its feet again yeah no um i know everyone points uh Tromy and juliet but to me that feels like the last film of essentially i guess i'd call it like Lloyd Kaufman's original run of movies, which is kind of like um, from Toxic Avenger to Terror Farmer, which would also include like Troma's War, um, Toxic Avenger 2 and 3, uh, Class of Newcomb High, um, Sergeant Kabuki Man, and I, th- I might be missing one in there, but that's just off the top of my head rattling them. Sure. And sure. so then we get to Terror Farmer, which I think is like the first movie of like Lloyd Kaufman's, I guess, like moderate era, the era that he's still in. I think it's not really, uh, like, honestly, I don't really think it's till Terra Firmer that Lloyd Kaufman really finds his feet as a director, and it's Terra Firmer and everything after it are all his best movies. So I know some people are going to be like, so you're going to say those later movies are better than The Toxic Avenger? And I'm like, I love The Toxic Avenger. Don't get me wrong. But yes, I think these later movies are better than The Toxic Avenger. They definitely all share an aesthetic that the earlier films do not. Um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, like, yeah, Toxic Avenger has its moments of irreverence, but it is still very much a um, an 80s superhero movie. Um, uh, Troma's War tries to be, like, very serious a lot of the time, you know, but it, uh, um, as, as, as well. Uh, but Terraformer and you know, the ones that come after that, like Poultry Geist, um, they, they feel, they feel like they were all made by the same, same person, you know, um, they, they feel, um, I don't know, they feel cohesive. And I, I really think it's also with these movies that, um, because of things like the internet coming about, which, and like Choma being able to do more direct distribution than that, and also just like, essentially decades of failure, but th- that Lloyd Kaufman and Troma stopped trying to break into the mainstream. That was yeah. all the Lloyd Kaufman stuff that we've dis- discussed so far, a lot of behind-the-scenes stories deal, and with the making of it, deal with Troma explicitly trying to get a mainstream hit. And I really yeah. feel that by Terra Firmer and onwards, they're like, we can be successful. There's now starting to be a network of independent movie theaters, independent distributors we can actually distribute directly to the customers ourselves and we failed so much at breaking into the mainstream maybe we should just make a movie just for our fans and nobody else is going to like it at all but who gives a fuck they our fans will like it and our fans will financially support us 
Yeah, um, I relate to that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so what what is Terra Firma about? Um, do we have a do we have a a, a, a short plot summary or? Plot well, I have. It might be interesting. I have the uh, DVD here. Um, I'm sorry, I have the Blu-ray here in front yeah. of me. That was how I watched it. I I I own the Blu-ray, and I'm gonna read the back description, and I'm gonna give my own description. But this okay. back description is kind of bizarre okay like try to follow some of these some of these some of the stuff they say in here is just weird okay <laughs> terra firmer is a dolly-esque surrealist trauma masterpiece unleashed by director lloyd kaufman and the trauma team their trade their trademark manic humor combines with a new darker sensibility to create the latest in a legendary line of genre bending classics inspired by lloyd kaufman's book all I need to know about filmmaking, I learned from The Toxic Avenger, which has been a source that we've used many times on this show already. Every episode Ter- so far. Yeah. <laughs> Terra Firmer is the most action-packed, most personal, most bizarre, and most commercial celluloid adventure in the 45-year <laughs> history of trauma entertainment. Honored by film festivals the world over, Terra Firmer has firmly established trauma as a fount of mass appeal alternative cinema, the world's source for real independent art. Now, that's what it says on the back of the Blu-ray. I don't think this movie is commercial or accessible at all. But the uh, the the phrase about the manic uh, sense of humor uh, mixed with a darker sensibility, I think, that really I think applies very, here. I think that is very accurate. Like, definitely comparing this movie to Tromeo and Juliet and Troma's War, which we discussed, this is a lot meaner. This is a yeah. lot darker. It's uh, a and lot Troma's more War violent. is mean. <laughs> yeah. I think this is I think this is even meaner. Yeah. So yeah. And now, now to actually pitch what the movie's about for anyone listening that has not seen it, the, this is a trauma movie about the filming of a trauma movie. Specifically they're filming a toxic Avenger sequel, which incidentally the movie like Kaufman makes after this is a Toxic Avenger sequel, mm-hmm. and on this film set, this low-budget film set, it's they're being attacked and stalked by a serial killer, and that's the loose what it's about. And I mean, it's essentially that's kind of everything plot-wise in the movie. Um, but the movie's just so insane; it so- is just batshit bonkers. What's incredibly interesting to me about that elevator pitch you just gave is that uh, this movie came out in 1999 and uh, right around the time that Scream 3 either came out or was about to come out. Um, And that is also a um, slasher stalking uh, the set of a slasher movie. That's right, it is. Wow, it's been a long time since I've seen Scream 3. Yeah, yeah, that is what it's about. And then there was... Then I think the full moon version, uh, Final Stab, came out around the same time as well. I'm curious here now what when Scream 3 uh, came out. I believe and... it actually came out in 2000, but that was because there was like weird... I think uh, Kevin Williamson got fired and then they brought uh, Aaron Kruger on to finish the script or something like that. So you are correct, it came out in 2000. And which meant at best it was being filmed while um, uh, Terra Firmer was being made. And the final yeah. stab, looking it up, it came out in uh, 2001. So, um, 
I don't know when the final stab was filmed about how what yeah. kind of turnaround time uh uh what's that blue moon or I I think it's either full moon or like oh, one of those moon. companies are like was, full moon. Yeah. That's what I was trying to uh say, but it's probably unlikely that any of them are ripoffs of the other. It's just seems No, I think there was more. just something in the water at that time, man. Like yeah. everything was uh very meta. I mean, like even the mainstream movies like you know, like Fight Club and 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 such were like had kind of a kind of that postmodern spin to them. Yeah, so that was just like so, yeah, that was just something in the ether. Yeah, uh, that everyone wanted to do a a, a meta meta horror film. Um, uh, I'm not. It's like I barely remember Scream Three, and I yeah. have not. I I don't think I've ever even heard of the final stab before you bringing it up right here. Yeah, and looking it up briefly, it doesn't look very good. <laughs> no, I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so so that's. That's fun. I mean, to me, that they were all kind of doing this thing at the same time. Um, but uh, Terra Firmer, Terra Firmer is just on another level. I mean, I mean, I, this this is one of the most offensive movies I have ever watched. And on rewatching it this week, <laughs> I I was like. You know, I remembered everything that happened in it, but watching it visually again, it's one of the things of like, holy shit, I can't believe anyone made this movie. Like, yeah, it's in the opening credits, we get a fetus cut out of a pregnant woman's stomach. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I like, like, I'm not a pearl clutcher at all, dude. But like, one of my first thoughts was like, when I was watching it, I was like. I don't, I really hope, like, my kid doesn't walk in on me while I'm watching this movie. <laughs> like, this, this, like, you know what, I would say for some trauma movies, it, um, uh, like, you know, some of the, especially some of the ones from the original run, like uh, Toxic Avenger and Class of Newcomer High, like, you could yeah. definitely show, like, a, um, you know, not a little kid, but, like, right. you know, a 12, 13-year-old, I think that'd be perfectly fine. Uh, sure. This terror firmer, I think, really should only be viewed by, like, older teenagers and up. Like, also because, like, as we get further in talking about this movie, some of the subjects matter in details, especially towards the last third of the movie, is just so dark and fucked up that, um, uh, like, I've talked before about my parents let me pretty much watch anything at all. I'm sorry, when I said before, it was actually on a different podcast, not on this podcast. But on yeah. a different podcast, I talked about, uh, I was asked about, you know, when I was growing up, if I had any restrictions in my viewing. And my family, my mom and my dad, who, for, this, for the record, were divorced, but I, they had shared custody of that. But they both had, like, the same policy of, like, like as long as you're not getting in trouble – as long as your grades are good, we don't give a fuck what you watch. And so, like, you know, they would, like, I would pick out the R-rated movies at the video store, and they would rent them for me. But there was a few movies that they would not let me watch. And I remember one of them being A Clockwork Orange. And they, I was not allowed to rent A Clockwork Orange until, I probably didn't see it until I was, like, 16 or something like that. Yeah. And the main reason for it of, not for the fact that it contains sexual violence and rape but in how it's presented and how the overall movie is like i wouldn't have understood what was going on in the plot of that movie if i was younger it's and 
it, yeah, like, I mean, you really have to know how to read between the lines in order to fully appreciate a movie like that. Uh, and this yeah. movie with, I'll uh, just give a little hint right now for, like, what's the coming discussion, featuring a life-affirming rape scene is definitely something not for the younger audiences. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw this... I saw this probably when I was around 16 or 17, and I don't think I probably fully grasped how fucked up that joke was when I first saw the movie. I don't think I, I think it was a couple of years later to a fully clicked in my head that was like, wait, what happens in this movie? (laughs) Sounds about right. Yeah. And then watching it this week of like you and I, we've, uh, I don't know if we've talked about it on recording at all, but we've definitely talked about it off recordings of how we're both kind of like annoyed that there's like a lot of genre uh, fair for lack of better terms of getting a lot safer in recent years. And I'm much, very much a fan of all any sort of entertainment that pushes the boundaries. Maybe it's not successful, but they tried. And so I really like really boundary pushing entertainment and this movie, like, especially with how the internet is, could you fucking imagine if Terra Firmer came out now? Like, no, I, I couldn't. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not. I don't know if I would say that it couldn't get made, but it would definitely, uh, it would have some waters to uh, navigate. Uh, <laughs> and I have seen every Lloyd Kaufman movie except for Shakespeare Shitstorm, which is his most recent release that almost nobody's seen because the yeah. pandemic completely screwed up the release schedule of that movie. Mm-hmm. I think I hold Terra Firmer is the most offensive out of everything he's made. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, and that's so, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that, again, like I haven't seen a lot of the other ones like recently enough although i did i did start watching citizen toxie and there's definitely stuff in there that's oh yeah wow. there and, but, and uh, there also is in poultry guys and then return to return to newcomb high but they always in how he uses offensive material after this i feel it's a lot more focused and it has a lot more of a point to it whereas yeah. in this movie it really does and this is in no way a criticism it really does feel at times that Lloyd Kaufman is just trying to piss off anyone who might be watching it. Anybody who's watching, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that, I mean, it's it was the right time for it. I mean, yeah. this was the height of South Park. This was the height of WWE's Attitude Era. This was just... Marilyn Manson was a mainstream top ten success with Antichrist Superstar. Like, yeah. Trent like, Reznor is... had a successful album essentially about nihilism and wanting to kill yourself and it's a pop hit like yeah this was the perfect environment for terror firmer to come out in absolutely and mortal kombat reigns supreme <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true like in mortal kombat and doom you know like these yeah! like insanely violent video games like that were just were just hugely popular like uh, i mean wow <laughs> oh man in some ways i miss the late 90s <laughs> i yeah i do too i do too <laughs> um at least in terms of our entertainment you know <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah um but uh yeah it was um it was yeah it was just the right time for a movie like this i don't think it could have come at a more perfect time like it it would have seemed disenchanted it would it would almost 
I don't like I, part of me almost wonders if it would feel almost disingenuous if it came out now. Like not just offensive, but also like I don't know, like it was trying to do something. I mean, I we've know. had some movies since Terror Firmer that I just think are just all around meant to piss you off. And some of them I really liked. Um, I really, yeah. this is not an ironic thing to say. I legitimately love UA Bowl's Postal, which I actually think a lot of that. It almost belongs in the Trauma catalog with just how ridiculously offensive it is. Um, also, Father's Day, which I keep singing the praises of, which we'll eventually yeah. cover, is also ridiculously offensive and really going out of its way to offend. And I feel like both of those are like come across as like really legit um, artistic statements. Yeah, I though feel um, though both those movies basically weren't seen by anybody. Like I'm one of the right. only people that like talks about those movies. <laughs> and um, I feel though like if Terra Firmer or any of those movies came out like now and people actually watched them, I think you'd get a lot of disingenuous critical pieces. Uh, critical true. writings saying that these movies are disingenuous, but in reality, it's the person doing the write-up is the one that's uh, really yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I could see that because I I think the thing about you know and I, uh, you know we'll get to the actual movie in a bit, but I think the thing about um what bothers people so much about like so-called edge lord stuff is, is like I don't know. I think they're afraid to admit that maybe they have these things in them. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and maybe secretly enjoyed it, but felt like they weren't supposed to enjoy it. Like, it's, a, it's okay to think the world is a terrible place and want to laugh about that rather yeah. than only have serious, thoughtful conversations about it. Like, there's a place for serious, thoughtful conversations, but as we, as we talked about on the last episode with the Mother's remake, so there's also a place to respond to the horror of the world with either, um, like, rubbing one's noses knows in it or in the case of like terra firmer of laughing at it yes and this one uh yeah it brings the laughs for sure oh my god <laughs> this this movie is so fucking funny it is like i it legitimately made me laugh out loud at several points watch even though i've seen this movie countless times though admittedly it's probably been like a good i don't know like Eight years? It's been so a long time since me. I watched it. And so revisiting it after many years, I remembered every line and every set piece, and yet they still all surprised me and shocked me and made me laugh. Yes. And this movie just fills me with goddamn fucking joy. Yeah. And, and it's good to be this, like, this enthusiastically positive about it because so far of Uncle Lloyd's work, we've covered Trauma's War, which I was kind of, uh, like, you know, okay, it's like so-so on, and we covered Tromeo and Juliet, which I'm like, I don't really like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so we were due to talk about, you know, this is a trauma podcast. We're due for me to talk about a Lloyd Kaufman and be like, this is one of the best things ever fucking made. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I like how they, 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 they name drop, uh, Dolly and the, um, in the plot description. That was an odd choice, I, I thought. Cause... It was an odd choice, but, like, I think I think there is a point you reach when you're doing something so irreverent uh, that it does become kind of surreal and Dolly-esque. 
Yeah, I, I think this leans so hard into its wanting to offend that it does kind of cross over into surrealism at times yeah. and just how fucking bizarre everything happening is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Uh, so do we want to we want to dive in? Yeah, let's, what, fucking, let's, let's fucking get break, into this. Yeah, let's break this thing down. All right. So how do we what do we open up with? We open up with a punk rock cover of Amazing Grace. Yes. Uh, done by the band. I, oh, I, I have the uh, soundtrack details pull up because I definitely want to talk about the soundtrack of this movie. Yeah. I believe that the um, uh, punk rock version of Amazing Grace is done by Entombed. Yes. Yep. Done by the metal band Entombed. It's actually okay. uh, just to clarify, that's actually a metal cover because punk comes up a lot in this movie. But okay. Entombed I, is one of the few metal songs. I do know that Entombed is a. You know what? I'm, I'm glad you you remember that because I do know that Entombed is a metal band because I remember being surprised because this particular version of the song does sound more punk than I'm used to hearing I, from. I will, I will give you that. Yeah. Um, then like we get we'll get to it later, but we gotta talk about the soundtrack because everyone praises the Tromeo and Juliet soundtrack. I'm like, nah, it's a terra firmer soundtrack. <laughs> terra firmer soundtrack is fucking like off the wall. I love it. Awesome. Uh, so we get two murders, right? We get a, a right away uh, in the opening credits. Uh, we've got this 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 version of Amazing Grace playing, and then we get uh, we get a guy getting beat with his own leg, and then we get an abortion. No, abortion. it's not. It's not an abortion. Abortions don't involve a woman's stomach being torn open from the front and the fetus pulled out of it. Well, I guess the, you would the, call it like a defeatusing. <laughs> well, well, you know the 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 uh, the method is different. Yes, but I guess the uh, the end result is the same. Uh, you know, dead baby. An, an abortion <laughs> is a medical procedure. The guy getting his leg torn off. The not uh, getting uh, dismembered is was not, not an amputation. It, it was fair. not an amputation. These are separate things. Fair, fair. And <laughs> oh, this show's off to a great start already. Buckle in, people. It's gonna, it's gonna be rough. <laughs> oh man. So I mean, and that's what we get like in the first five minutes. Like, yeah, it's a guy get his leg ripped off, then beat with it, and then yeah, the the fetus. Is torn from this woman's stomach, and it's. I like the fetus scene. I don't think that's a real word, but I want it to be. It is now. It is now. It's canon. Um, and then we cut to the film set, which we're then where we spend most of the movie, outside from a couple a couple scenes and a few cutaway gags. Um, pretty much the entire movie takes place on an interior film set in the alleyway and the alleyway street that is next to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're um, now. I'm really curious here. We watched two different versions of this movie. That's true. And, and so, how yeah. long was your version? So I watched the 114 minute version that is on uh, Troma Now, which is their streaming service. Which is interesting because that's the official uh, streaming service. I watched on the Troma Blu-ray, which is the only version of this movie. Uh, that's for sale, and it's 124 minutes is mine. And wow. looking up online, it confirms everywhere that there is in fact a 114 minute version and a 124 minute version. Yep. So we were kind of having some uh, text messages we were exchanging earlier, wondering about what the difference was between the two. Now, 
I one of the difference may already come up here that according to some of the special features, there was a eight minute introduction sequence that was cut from the release movie that happens in the beginning here. My version has the full eight minute sequence and it's a shot right. of all the characters in a line and they're all interacting with talking to each other and the camera is going down in a single shot as these characters move in and out of frame and it's the introduction of every main character in the movie. Does okay. your version I... have that scene? No, it does not. And that's eight minutes long. That's probably the big difference. I wonder if that's supposed to be a reference to, uh, there's a tracking shot and I forget what movie it's in, but it's, uh, it, uh, the, the director, it was, a it was a Godard, uh, Jean-Luc Godard movie. Um, and where he's like kind of tracks and it goes on forever, but he's like tracking this, um, uh, traffic jam essentially. And I don't know. I don't, I don't remember what movie it's from. That's going to drive me nuts. I wouldn't be surprised if it is, though, because one thing we do now, and this is not remotely sarcastic, that Lloyd Kaufman is a lover of the great filmmakers of history. He so, adores highbrow art. Yes. Yet he makes what he makes, and I love it so much. I, and, and I think, like, terror, I think also to differentiate the the quick jump back earlier when talking about, <coughs> sorry, talking about the errors of uh, Troma and Lloyd Kaufman's work, I think it's terraformer on is when Lloyd Kaufman really masters the combination of highbrow and lowbrow. Because I think this movie yeah. has some really fucking smart jokes in it combined with shit eating. Like, yes. it's all over the place in its intelligence level. So, you, the version you saw, which is the immediate opening scene of the movie for me, is um, did not have this long tracking shot with every one of the main characters moving in and out of frame and it being the introduction of who everyone is, their relations to each other. Um, like, no. That's yeah, interesting. they didn't have that at all. Okay, yeah, because um, I'm not going to talk about it directly, um, but I'll, I'll be bringing it up every now and then, that the, um, the wonderful DVD edition I have has a 90-minute special feature um documentary called farts of darkness which and a part of that is where i got suspicious that this was missing from your version is they spent a day filming that scene and the documentary says in it it was later cut from the final release and i'm like it was in the release i just watched so the godard movie in in question is called weekend Oh, Just I know weekend. Yeah. 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 For those who are paying attention <laughs> or those who are, you know, want to make sure we're doing our research. Uh, <laughs> we try our hardest here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So that, that's eight, that's eight minutes. So that explains eight of the 10 minutes in runtime. Now I'm curious mm-hmm. about where the other two minutes it's my guess. It's another, um, I'm guessing it's another whole scene that is missing. It'll be interesting if we can so? figure yeah. out what it is. Okay, so my suspicion would say, like, it would, like, okay, maybe it lingered on, you know, the defeatist sing or something, or that. So, so yeah. we, um, so, so where did yours start, then? So, it started with, like, yeah, like, there was the, um, kind of, you kind of fade in, and there's, like, the song playing, and the dude, like, yeah, the dude gets attacked by, um, the Oh, killer. no, I'm. I mean, when they cut from the opening uh, kills, where does yours start? 
Oh gosh. Um, uh, they're, they're filming. They, uh, yeah, they're filming, um, the, uh, gosh, I, I need to look at this now. Cause I'm like totally forgetting. They're filming uh, the toxic Avenger four. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I know, I know that, but there was like a particular scene I was thinking of, um, they're talking yeah, about squibs and stuff. <laughs> okay, okay, I know exactly what you're talking about, and that picks up right after the scene I'm describing. Okay, cool. So, okay, yeah, so everyone listening is going to have to bear with us. Unlike a lot of the other movies, I could not find, like, a point-by-point block uh, plot breakdown of, of this one. So we're going to have to do our best to uh, stumble through everything that happens, and a lot fucking happens. Yeah, so, and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> so everyone's introduced. The main things is we have three main characters in this movie. We have uh, production assistant Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Casey, who is the head of sound, the boom mic guy, and yeah. we have Jerry, who um, I, he's a special effects artist, isn't he? Yes, yes. And the movie, in terms of the non-serial killer aspect, though it does tie in, <laughs> we'll get to that reveal later. Um, is essentially a love triangle between these three yeah. characters. That Jessica is really into Casey. Casey doesn't really seem to give a shit. Jerry's really into Jessica. She doesn't really seem to give a shit about him. Yeah. Uh, so Casey is um, played by Will Keenan, who plays Tromeo in Tromeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. And it's worth noting that Jerry is uh, played by Trent Haga, who later yes. go on... Um, um, this is a great opportunity to correct something we got wrong on the previous episode. Okay. In the previous episode, we said that this uh, Terra Firmer, I believe we said that Terra Firmer was co-written by Trent Haga. That was actually Citizen Toxie. Trent Haga, this is just the movie where he joins Troma. Okay. And on the on the Blu-ray, he I, tells... I think we got that right. I think we got okay. that right. I hope I we did. Wrong. Just yeah. see, if we didn't... Well, now the matter is correct. Now it's now but, it's, uh, it's a bit. Trent Hager, though, was a huge Troma fan, and he saw the open casting call for what would end up being Terra Firmer, and he had never worked in a single on a single film before. He had never acted in any way before. But he showed up to our audition um, to essentially be like, fuck it, I'm going to try. And Lloyd Kaufman thought that he came across as the epitome of an obsessive trauma fan. So he gave Trent Haga the role. And That's awesome. I will, like, I guess we'll save talking about Trent Haga too much for Sis and Toxie since he co-wrote that movie. Yeah. Um, but Trent Haga is somebody that I actually really fucking love. I, yeah, I really dig him. And it's really cool that, he got his start in film just from being like, fuck it, I'm going to try for a movie from my favorite film studio. Definitely. I mean, it's uh, it's it's telling, you know, you just see those you got to find those opportunities that you, uh, you know, that you think would be a good fit. You know, I mean, don't just I know I know sometimes people like to say, oh, take every opportunity. But it's like, no, nah, you know, look for the right ones, you know. No, you can't take everyone because else you're going to be running around doing a whole bunch of you're going to wait spend a lot of time wasted on a bunch of bullshit. Working for people you hate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, there's some weird stuff here, like um, in this opening scene, or well, it's not the opening scene, but it's like I guess, I mean, you know, um, they're you know he's uh they're they're shooting a scene and uh. 
Casey is making um, phallic jokes about his uh, boom mic that he's holding. And we also get to see that Casey is very strong. Um, you know, which, you know... Uh, does it, legitimately come into play later. It does, yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's even a fun little Troma's War callback. We've got... Uh, Trent Haggis character is it is it Jerry you said um, yeah Jerry is a, a is a special effects artist played by ta- uh, Trent Haga yeah so he talks about the director they're working for they his name is Larry but like it's Lloyd Kaufman it's oh, played yes. by Lloyd Kaufman so it's essentially after those three characters we named the who would be then the next main character and probably um would round out the main character list is Lloyd Kaufman playing Larry Benjamin, who is a blind director who's known for making shitty films filled with sex and blood. So Lloyd has a thing for, for blind people, doesn't he? Oh, how so? I mean, he's they're in a lot of his movies. I guess so. I, I mean, guess... I'm not, not like a bad thing. It just seems like there's one in... Uh... Trauma's War, and then Toxic Avengers Girlfriend is Blind. and That's true. Yeah, I, I think yeah. he just... I, You know what I think it is? I think he just likes um, character types that you don't see that often in movies. Yeah. Such that as putting Joe Fleischecker in a lot of the movies. Um, uh, one thing that's really interesting about this movie, um, we're talking about the characters being introduced, uh, this was one of the first movies for myself personally that had really openly gender queer characters in it yeah. that weren't um, presented as a novelty, shall I say. And yeah. some people might be like, what about the big reveal in the movie? We'll get to that. Don't worry. We'll talk about that. Yeah. But on the film crew itself, there is like several um, characters that are essentially like very gender queer and right. the actors who played them in real life were like gender queer activists and stuff like yes. that. And the, the yes. movie takes the movie takes these um, uh, these identities and these sexualities actually very seriously in the way that you kind of want to see done in movies. Right. No, I mean I think Lloyd cares a lot about you know um, that kind of you know like diversity and inclusiveness. I mean it's um, I mean. Both- this is a very white movie. We have one black character. And sure, sure. Only, and this is a film set that there is like, what, would you say like 30 different characters come in and out of this movie at different yeah. times? Yeah. And out of all of them, only one is not a white person. Uh, That's good. Call. I feel if yeah. he made it now, he would improve on that. Like, it was the late 90s. To, like, I'm not really defending or excusing, but, you know, it wasn't something that was quite on everyone's mind in the filmmaking business right. in the late nineties. We've definitely improved since then. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to, when, when I'm praising about representations of different types of people, I do feel the need to note that. Yeah. There's an asterisk of course. Um, yeah. But uh, gosh, where were we? Oh yeah. So Lloyd, a uh, blind film director makes a, uh, uh, you know, he, he plays, yeah, plays himself, basically. <laughs> yeah, and they were working at Troma Studios. The movie is very open. It's not like, 
I don't even know why he didn't go. He should have gone with just having his character be named Lloyd Kaufman, and the yeah. only difference point um, being that he's in blind. And well, that's why all my movies suck is because I'm blind. I, I think that'd be an even funnier joke. Yeah, that is kind of funny. <laughs> um, I liked how Jerry is, you know, talking about how great, you know, Larry is, and he's like, you know, he had any talk any. Ta- any references trauma's war he says he talked about aids in 1988 and then like uh then like yeah like one of the other characters goes like yeah but the way he did it was have like somebody get like raped like (laughs) just like which is awesome that he they're like also directly acknowledging their own you know problematic nature and yeah. it's like, yeah, we did yeah. talk about it, maybe not in the best way, but we talked about it, and yeah. I gotta give Truma credit, like, they're really seriously self-reflective. And, and yeah, it's, it's, ref, it's reflective, it doesn't feel like, I don't know, like, it doesn't feel like they're, like, lecturing themselves or their fans, like, it feels more like they're just, like, maybe we could have done that better, you know, like... It, it, they're just directly acknowledging what they did, it's like, yeah, yeah but they did it this way, and... Yeah. Yeah, and because when I was just talking about like the gender queer presence in this movie, there's somebody like listen, it's like, but what about blank? And it's like, yeah, but both things can be true at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so yeah, we we go um, from there. We learn that Casey is also really into uh, Spielberg movies, <laughs> which is a running joke in this movie where. <laughs> They keep ripping on Steven Spielberg, and yeah. um, you know, uh, I'm not sure why Lee Coffin hates Steven Spielberg so much, but he hey, you know does. What? He might not even. He might just hate what he represents. You know, uh. that's probably a be- that's probably a better take on the matter. Yeah. Um, it's still just it's just funny like because I, I mean when you uh, when you think like mainstream movie like even now like 20 years later like you think. Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, yeah, you know. Because like, 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 I, I cannot deny deny my undying love for Jurassic Park. Oh God, you can't. That's you... that's like in, in my personal like Jeff Burke top five f- favorite films of all time. Jurassic Park is one of them for me. Uh, Jaws is still a very effective horror film. You know, um, I yeah, no, I I I, I, have, I have a lot of love for Spielberg. And when um and when uh. Jennifer is half flirting with Casey. He says the line, I was thinking about going home and putting a Spielberg movie in. Always in 1941. Something really great like that. Which yeah. are universally recognized as the two absolute worst Steven Spielberg movies. <laughs> only because Ready Player One had not been out yet. Yeah, I would put yeah. Ready Player One on that list. That movie was god-awful. Yeah, we were uh, talking or off mic uh, about uh, nostalgia porn, and that is like oh. the epitome of it. <laughs> oh, that yeah. Oh, hated that movie. Yeah. Uh, so, so the the film shoot we're seeing is not going like as planned. It's a wreck. Um, everyone's kind of running around, can barely do their jobs. Debbie uh, Roshan is fucking everybody. <laughs> yes, yes, that is right. But yeah, we get the the sex scene with Debbie Roshan and some big muscle guy. I'm not sure if we ever see him again in the yeah, yeah. in the movie having sex in the bathroom. And uh, uh, Lloyd Kaufman's blind director character comes in. Let's just call him Lloyd Kaufman. Let's not use Larry yeah. Benjamin. It's Lloyd yeah, yeah, Kaufman. Yeah. Uh, comes in and he's 
pissing at the urinal on everybody and, and they're having sex uh next to him and then he turns because he's talking to the actor not realizing um he's talking to him not realizing they're having sex and starts pissing all over them while they're fucking <laughs> and and the the bathroom graffiti i loved is all um all mad cowboy graffiti which yeah who is i believe this is the introduction of mad cowboy unless he's in sergeant kabuki man in some way um yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. So, for those that may not know, Trauma has always tried to expect because the Toxic Avenger became such a hit and such an iconic character. They've always been trying to expand their superhero lineup and oh. always failing to. Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD was their first failure, and Mad Cowboy was kind of like their next one. Though I don't really think Mad Cowboy was meant to be taken seriously. I think no. I think I think that's them giving up themselves I, yeah. yeah i think they're making fun of themselves with that character yeah which is something they do probably even better in in citizen toxie but that's a later episode yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so and so all this chaos leads to the toddster yeah, oh, yeah that's right who is the head of sound he's a head he's the actual sound engineer um mm-hmm. And he has all of the actual equipment. And he quits, which is kind of like our first big thing of the movie. And I love it whenever they say his name, it's always Toddster yes. in the background. Yes. For no apparent reason, I don't know why, it cracks me up. It's little details like that. And this movie is just filled with them. There is constantly visual um, dialogue and auditory jokes just nonstop. Every single scene, there's multiple things going on in the background that if we were to actually, like, break down every little thing happening in this movie, this would be, like, an eight, ten-hour-long show just because there is literally that many jokes going on at any it's given second of the movie. A constant bombardment of of of, of filth, man. I lo- <laughs> it's, it's just, <laughs> you know, like... Uh, it's just one of those things that just doesn't let you up at all. Like, um, I mean, well, you know, last week we talked about how the mother's day remake, uh, doesn't let you up at all, but this is like in a different way. Like, this is like, you're just getting bombarded with these like irreverent, offensive jokes, you know? And it's, uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's like, um, uh, you can definitely tell that Lloyd Kaufman was in some way inspired by Matt Stone and Trey Parker. And yeah. as we've talked about previously, that there is a direct connection between all these people. Because this really feels like um, South Park on crack. Like, yes, yes. It's very yeah. much South Park aesthetics, humor style, but just... Um, the, Rapid the, fire. Yes, just the rate of all the visual and dialogue jokes coming at you is just... Very few things I've ever seen have this cons- this this amount of constant bombardment of just something happening everywhere. It doesn't give you the opportunity to get bored. No. Like, you know? And, uh, and this, like, the version I watch is a full two-hour-long movie, and it does not feel like it. It feels like a tight yeah. 90 minutes, and that's just because there is just constantly something happening. Yeah. Um, so the Todd quits, and... Uh, I know there's a party scene, but yeah, he goes I don't, to like a weird Togo party, and which I don't know is that before or after um, Casey and 
uh, um, Jennifer decide to go on a date? I think it's uh, before. It's it's either before or it's like intercut. Oh no, it wouldn't be intercut because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the first. But, uh, well, whatever. Let's do the party scene first, and then we can yeah. jump to the uh, the date slash asking out whatever. So yeah. yeah, so we get the party scene with the um, with the Todster, <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's a frat boy party. It's a toga party. Yeah, and Even though he might be the only. Is, I don't know if anyone else is in the toga other than him, but that's what it's a right. direct reference yeah. to. And they have a fountain in the uh, frat house with um, the penis monster from Tremio Trim- Trim- and Juliet. Which has a name, doesn't it? Um, Thor, the god of love. Yes, but yes, that's Thor right. Thor is the god of thunder. Isn't it a bit homoerotic for a frat house to have a giant penis displayed in the room? It's about fucking. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So he picks up a girl by... Uh, well, he tries... No. Oh, no, he says... He says yeah. to one of his frat boy brothers, who is that? And the brother yeah. responds, I have the direct quote here, are you referring to that mysterious and beautiful lady with her back to us? Yeah. And it's just this woman that's just hanging out in the corner, very sultrily dancing, um, who's the same woman that the viewer knows is who committed the murders in the very opening of the movie. So yes. we... The viewer knows this is the murderer, but the you film know the crew... the is in trouble. Yes. <laughs> The film crew is not yet aware of the fact that there is a murderer on the loose. So they go, um, you know, he goes to flirt on her, fl- flirt with her, and she kind of, you know, she, that's where that exchange about, like, isn't it a bit homoerotic for frat boy? She's the one saying that. Yeah. And um, she's asked him, like, is your room upstairs? And I'm like, yes, it is. So they go up to start uh, fooling around and... <laughs> Things quickly go bad for the Todd's, too. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I, I have to confess, I do not remember what his death scene is. I keep confusing it with oh uh, a later death scene. So first off, he gets completely nude, um, and we see everything, which I want to like, point out, like, this is also when Lloyd Kaufman is into having as much sticks on screen as he does breasts. Yeah, like, it, there's look, a lot of male nudity in this if, movie. If you're going to be exploitative, you should be equal opportunity exploitative. I agree um, completely. Yeah. Like, I even though I was kind of surprised, um, like, rewatching this through, I was like, wow, there's more dicks in this movie than I remembered. And yeah. I, I wish I would have kept a tally, but I'm pretty sure it's about 50-50 in the amount of nudity of it between female and male characters. And there's a lot of nudity in this movie. Yes, there is. I think is. pretty much every character gets naked at some <laughs> point in the movie. Yeah, um, and so the so the toddster, what first happens to him is uh, she knocks him off the uh, sofa, puts a beer funnel in his ass. Oh yeah, which she gets a little bit kind of into, pours beer in his ass, then she dumps cocaine in his ass yeah. and throws him on the sofa, and she starts masturbating in front of him, and yeah. which he he's, he's actually kind of having fun with this. So, yeah. And and she breaks his glass bomb, and at the moment of her, her orgasming, she stabs him in the top of the head with his glass bomb repeatedly, thus exposing his brain, tearing out pieces of his brain, and stabbing him with the um, broken glass bomb. And then Oof. the scene cuts to later with one of the... Um, 
frat boys coming into the room to try to hook up with this girl, even though he shit himself and has vomit all over him. It's just so <laughs> gross. And and then they see that the toddster has been made into a fountain, not that different from the penis monster fountain on the first oh, floor. Yeah. And except this is a um, uh, a beer keg which is flowing through him, and so he's he's a he's been made into a human fountain of beer. So that's what they do to the toddster. That is a that is a fitting end for a frat boy. What say you? Oh my god, it's a great it's a it's a great death scene. It's a great death scene. It yeah. also has the really bad joke of here's your brain. She oh yeah, out his brain, and then she throws into a frying pan full of cocaine and here's your brain on drugs <laughs> which if anyone anyone listening to this wasn't alive watching uh cartoon shows in the late 90s we all so, saw it's the parody yeah. of an anti-drug uh ad which that we shit ran all the time the entire 90s yes. if i remember correctly. on all on every children's tv show yeah yeah my god Though that version did not feature actual brain matter, it was somebody holding an egg and says, "This is your brain," and then they crack the egg and start frying it, and this is your brain on drugs. Which only which, made me want to try drugs. Which I, you know, I never really thought about it at the time, but it was one of those things. Of like looking backwards, it's like back, back, looking back at it, it's like what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah well, did Bill Hicks do a whole bit on that? Tasty treat and part of a healthy breakfast? I don't understand. Like, yeah, yeah. I remember Bill Hicks did a joke about that where he was like, I've done a lot of drugs, but nothing that ever made me see a, my brain at, a brain that looked like an egg. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of drugs as well, and I did not find that commercial to be accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so, so yeah. After so that, that we have, get... At some point, we have the... Uh, uh, we, we see that Jennifer is living at home... With her mother, who basically is suffering from dementia and cannot control her bodily function. All over herself, yeah. And, oh, that actually comes later. That comes later. Because okay. before that, we definitely have the scene of Jennifer going to Casey's house because she yeah. gets pickle, which comes up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. so Jennifer and Casey, they... Yeah, so Casey's really into pickling things. Before that, though, they have a date where they go to a diner, which is a just bizarre scene meant to be a Seinfeld parody. Oh, right. They even have the Seinfeld music. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a slight variation of it, just enough that they won't get sued. But it's right. almost that, um, that bass line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's like yeah, a laugh track and, and everything. There is a laugh track for this one scene. It's a direct parody of Seinfeld. And, Which is another 90s reference, you know, so. And uh, so they have a scene there, and they end up going back to uh, Casey's house, where they find out, uh, where we're introduced to Casey's love of pickling. Yeah. And he has his own ho homemade pickles, which I also love pickling things. So, like, <laughs> I feel a little attacked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big home pickler as well. Uh um, oh. And so uh, he, she, uh, they, they watch a Sam Fuller movie called was it uh, Shark with Shark. an exclamation point at the end. Shark, uh, which I, I'm not really familiar with Sam Fuller. Do you know anything about him? Uh, you know what? I honestly thought that movie was made up until I, I looked it up like a few days ago. 
and yeah, it is a, a real thing. But apparently he was like a yeah, like kind of an exploitation filmmaker from that. 60s, he, was, he was a European ultra low budget filmmaker. I've tried really looking into him. I've quite frankly, I've like never heard of any of his movies, and I love low budget exploitation. Yeah, uh, he was just one of those ones really on the fringe. I kind of gathered he may have been kind of like a uh, a uh, European Lloyd Kaufman before Lloyd Kaufman, and kind of makes me want to check out his movies. <laughs> just never like got any sort of following on like Lloyd Kaufman, right? And so um, uh, Jennifer comes on to uh, Casey, uh, takes off her clothes, basically throws herself at him. Uh, he's, he's, he, uh, let's put this in context. He's damn good looking, uh, Will Keenan is. Oh, yeah, he looks really yeah. good in this movie. Like, yeah. you, you can kind of, though, though I root for the nerdy guy. I'm like, Jerry's better. <laughs> <laughs> I root for the nerdy special effects artist guy. And so, and so uh, she throws herself at at him, and uh, he's kind of been like not really taking her advances that well. Like he keeps trying to change the subject and that, and when she just throws herself at him, and she's like, "I'm gonna make you happy," and he does something like, "Well, tonight, why don't we just, you know, work on you?" Or I forget the exact yeah. line, something like that. Let me take care of you tonight, or but, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's closer. I think it's like I think it's let me take care of you. And yeah. so he goes down on her, and while going down on her, he takes out one of his pickles and yeah. then starts using the pickle pickle as a uh, essentially a dildo and yeah. gets her off by um, um, giving her oral sex while um, using a pickle as a dildo on her. So not for nothing, but, uh, you know, when I saw this movie, um, you know, all those years ago for the first time. Uh, definitely, this is definitely the first time I saw Cunnilingus in a movie that wasn't, uh, you know, a porno film. It probably is for me, too, now that you say it. It's probably the yeah. first time seeing uh, Cunnilingus in a film for me as well. I can't yeah. think of anything that would have been before this. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen it, but there's a great documentary called this film is not yet rated about uh, the MPAA. I've actually not seen that. Oh, my God. I, it's probably really out of date in a lot of things because um, it's meant to be an expose on the MPAA, but it was made in, like, 2000 or 2001, so we're yeah. 20 years later from it. But one of the things that the movie makes a very convincing argument about is one of the things the MPAA likes censoring most is female pleasure in sexual yeah. activities that yeah. a woman involved in a um sexual act and enjoying it is one of the most heavily censored things you can do when it comes to the mpaa yeah. so it's also probably not that filmmakers didn't want to include scenes of a woman right. getting off while receiving oral oral sex but they, the MPA literally would not allow it in mainstream movies oh it's seldom the artist to blame for um but, I mean, there's actually, progress, but I, I mean, think. there's actually a practical logistical reason why yeah. this may have been for both of us our first time seeing oral sex performed on a woman in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to be fair, the very first time I saw Terra Firmer, it was the 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 censored version. Um, same for me. We'll get to that later. And we'll get to that later. Yeah. Okay. All right. Want to follow All your right. cue on that one? But it was All right. Same for me as well. Yeah. So um so then she goes uh Jennifer goes back home. She she believes she had a really good day. 
Hey, I mean, like, I mean, honestly, you get like you're really into somebody. You finally talk to them into going out, and they like they just go down on you, and that's in the yeah. night. It's like well, that's not a bad day. Like, I'd call that I'm, a win. Jeez. Yeah, I'd consider that a success. <laughs> and um, she goes back home when we see her mother is um, uh, has like basically advanced uh, dementia and no, can no longer control her bodily functions. She goes to be- Jennifer goes to bed, but can't stop thinking about Casey. Where yeah. she has a jar of pickles by the bed, which oh yeah, and I don't know if they're I don't know if they're pickles from Casey or if it's just another jar. I didn't pay that close of attention to the jar. Yeah, itself. I I gotta be honest, I don't know either. <laughs> it's only now occurring to me of like, wait, where did that jar of pickles where come did they from? That's <laughs> a trauma movie. It probably doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, um, and so she then masturbates with a pickle and. Yeah. And then we cut to... It screams really loud for someone who's living with their mother. Yes. Like, uncomfortably <laughs> so. Doesn't, and doesn't the mom even, like, yell something back at some point, or... I think it... Oh, no, no, no. Or, wait, yeah, 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 I think so, I think so. There's something... Remember. Oh, the mother... Doesn't, wait, does the mom walk in? That sounds closer to it yeah God, there's so much in this movie and like i not only did i watch this movie this week i also watched it with the lloyd kaufman director's commentary and i watched the full behind the scenes documentary and yet there's still stuff i'm sure going to remember because it's just a constant barrage of things happening yeah yeah definitely so um let's just move on so we're back at the uh film set the next day mm-hmm. and i i i have no idea what's next in the plot what what the fuck just, happens you know, it's just, uh, you know, uh, we get jo- Joe Flyshaker. He's uh, the producer who's mm-hmm. the man with all the money. And, like, clearly he's, like, you know, kind of a womanizer and, you know. and uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. He's harassing all the women and yeah. telling them, I can get you in my movie. Little, just because we're just watching all these trauma movies, I had a little media flashback to um, Mother's Day with that opening Hollywood scene with the leering predatory men, yeah. which all yeah. this stuff hits way different now in post Me Too ever and Harvey Weinstein and Brett Ratner. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that stuff was like when people say it was an open secret, it was quite literally an open secret. Like here's Choma making making the exact jokes about like producers yeah. or womanizers and will sexually harass and assault any attractive young female um, they can get their hands on. Yeah, I mean, shit. I mean, like they did with uh, with priests in uh, Tromeo and Juliet as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so this and this leads to him getting uh, him getting killed though pretty quickly. Um, he um, there's actually a bunch of filmmaking scenes in before he's introduced and how he dies. But it's really yeah. fun because uh, what's happening is he's being set up for special effects. And what it is is going to be sucked into an elevator. And they're having yeah. a problem. Escalator. And I'm sorry, sucked into an escalator. Thank you. Um, and they're having a problem getting the effects all right and are kind of complaining that it's not going to look realistic and all these things. So what we're seeing is pseudo the behind the scenes of a scene that then happens in the plot of the movie in a little bit. If that sounds confusing... That's how Joe Fly- Shaker's character dies. He gets sucked into an escalator in the reality of the movie, whereas before we're watching them have a discussion that in the movie they are filming in this yeah. movie, 
he's going to die the same way. I hope I didn't just make like somebody's brain start leaking out of their ears trying to keep track of that continuity. But that's what yeah. it is, and that's part of the reason why this movie's fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, you know, um, no, I think you did a good job describing it because it is, like, um, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about a, a, a meta movie, you know. So and it's, it's, it's a super meta. Yeah. Like there, so the, there was conversations throughout the entire movie of them discussing scenes that they're going to be filming in this Toxic Avenger sequel, and then those scenes literally happen to the characters. That happens yeah. all throughout this movie. Yeah, for real. So um, we have, yeah, Joey Flyshaker's uh, character introduced, and um, we, we have some of the filming stuff. I believe we have the, uh, the first sex scene with the Toxic Avenger movie that they're filming, in which... Um, the blind Toxie's blind girlfriend uh, has a great line of I'm coming. I'm coming. I can see. I can see myself coming. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a wonderful line. Which, by the way, a lot of women get off in this movie. I just now realize that. There's a yeah. lot of re- references to female orgasms throughout this entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I mean, you could make a drinking game out of it. And this is also around the first time that we get introduced to the concept of um, a life-affirming rape. Yeah, this is around. This is around when it first gets introduced in the movie, when they're going over script pages, because apparently Lloyd Kaufman's character is adding new pages to the script every day. And the script pages he just added, which has the crew all shocked and debating amongst themselves so the movie is even debating if this is in good taste to do that one of the characters in the movie is going to have a life-affirming rape and what that means is while in the act of being raped the 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 victim turns it on the attacker by starting to essentially enjoying it and on like a very like mental level overpowering them taking away the power dynamic and this then leads to um a kind of a new lease on life for yeah and this is what's in this the script that they're reading and so then this leads to the characters all debating amongst themselves over like should we be doing this right right which Which, i love which um leads to a great line which is one of my things that might like really this is like a viewpoint that's really sums up a lot of uh traumas viewpoint in the world and also for myself personally a lot of my viewpoint in the world a lot of great artists i love viewpoints in the world of uh casey and jerry are having a debate over if this like this scene and casey says how can you like this offensive garbage anyway and jerry responds with because it is offensive Sometimes pissing people off is the only reason to get them to look at shit. And I love that line. I love that line. (laughs) Yeah, that was, I mean, I mean, that was your ethos for a while, I feel like. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like for my entire duration at Dead Eye Press, that was like practically like my entire uh, perspective on running that imprint. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Um. So then we, um, after like some filmmaking scenes, we then get to Joe Fleischer's, uh death, which yeah. that scene opens on, I will admit, 
that uh, opening shot of his death scene made a strong impression on uh, teenage Jeff. And it's the it's the chick that we've seen murder three people already um, mm-hmm. on all fours crawling around on the floor in a very tight see-through dress wearing yeah. very small underwear. Um, oh, yeah. When I saw that scene, I was like, ah, that brings back 16-year-old memories. Like, like yes. 16-year-old me <laughs> memories. I remember this scene made an impact on me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, so uh, Joe Fleischecker's character, the sleazy producer, uh, sees her and he's like, oh, can I, like, help you, my dear? It's obvious that, oh, we see him take off his wedding wing. Yeah. Wedding ring. And um, like, oh, can I help you, my dear? And she's like, I've lost my contacts. I can't see. And yeah. he... Uh, offers to take her to um a bar and and then he's like actually why don't we go up to my office i'm making this movie and you can be in it and oh yeah he's like oh since you can't see how would you like this regularly handsome man to assist you she's like would you do that for me and so she's at the top of an escalator and he had just come up this is how these two characters run into each other and then essentially um uh, she just, without warning, pushes him down the escalator. And yeah. a really shitty stuntman, who, I'm not sure if you actually call, uh, caught, but the stuntman that's playing Joe Fleischecker, for anyone unaware, Joe Fleischecker is a white guy. The stuntman is black. And you can actually oh. see that. He's a black man wearing a fat <laughs> I did not notice A that. white fat suit, but they didn't cover his hands or his head. And so you can actually, if you're paying attention when he's rolling down the escalator in the movie, you can see that it is in fact a black man in the fat suit pretending oh, to be. Man. Yeah, it's like, it was really bad. Like, we'll get to it actually a little bit later, but the stunt guys on this movie did not get ever rehired by Troma. Lloyd Kaufman was very angry with them on multiple oh. occasions and thought they did a shitty, shitty job. And um, so, uh, uh, and then he rolls down, and then when he's coming back up, I'm not even quite sure exactly how it happens, but he starts to get sucked into the escalator itself. Yeah, yeah. And so then we get a great gore scene um, of of his organs being, like, his body bursting open, his organs coming out, a, a license plate coming out of inside of him, and he's confused why a license plate is there, which is yeah. also just a great gag for, for reasons I can't put my finger on, crack me up. It's, and, uh, I, yeah, yeah. I think it might be a that might even be a Jaws thing, like when they cut open the one shark and they they're oh. pulling out all this weird shit. Is there a license plate in the shark? I think so. Yeah. If it is, it's almost certainly a reference to Jaws, just because Jaws gets name checked earlier in the movie. We have that yeah. whole thing of between shark and Jaws and yeah. and Spielberg jokes. If it is, if that does happen in Jaws, it's been a long time since I've seen Jaws. Yeah. It almost certainly has to be a reference to it. Yeah, I think so. It's 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 in the shark that they kill. Like, and, I know what scene you're talking about, but yeah. I don't remember. I, I couldn't tell you if there's a license plate in there or not. I think there is. I remember a bunch of weird shit, and uh, I think there might have been a license plate. It's it's been a little while since I've seen Jaws as well, but uh. So um, so and yeah. then the, the like you know the gallows gore coming out of his mouth as his body's being pressed up, and she's pushing him into the escalator even yes. more so. And um, uh, on the behind-the-scenes documentary, they show that they pissed the fuck 
off out of Joe Flyshaker in the making of that scene. Really? Um, they didn't tell him essentially what all was going to like happen to him. He was left waiting for about seven hours in oh, no. uh, in the green room to film the scene, and he keeps mentioning, "I have work tomorrow. Like I have to." go home and go to bed at some point. I have to go to work in the morning. Oh and gosh. and so when the escalator scene stops, they spray his face with blood, and he actually stops the filming of the scene, being like, I didn't know I was going to get blood on my face and in my eyes. And wow. um, and the entire crew was just trying to be like, I'm oh, sorry, come on, come on, can we just do this? Can we just get this? Like, yeah, yeah. Just get the shot? Can we just get this shot? And... Um, like he was really uh the the organ stuff coming out of his mouth is bread it's like old bread that has been soaked in um fake blood oh, and and you, you see him like partially gagging on it as he's putting it in his mouth and which i imagine the, the texture um, no this is behind the scenes stuff you see oh, him behind yeah, yeah, the yeah. scenes gagging putting it in i am like oh the texture of that has to be just awful yeah yeah old bread soaked in like um Corn syrup, like yeah. and stuffing, I, I, stuffing I don't your like mouth. Soggy bread anyway, so yeah. And stuffing your mouth as full as you can with it, oh. like oh yeah, that sounds really cool. Uh, but he did it, and the scene looks fucking awesome in the movie. And we know um, Joe Flyshecker continued to appear in Chuma works and on Chuma promotional stuff until his death. So um, we know they didn't ruin his relationship with Chuma. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I'm sure they. Yeah, I'm sure they patch things up after that. <laughs> Every everybody has a bad day on set. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Although I've got to say, it's very telling that, like, you know, I mean, you know, you're working for like a real independent studio if you have to go to work the next morning, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. At your day job, man. Uh, yeah, I thought that was. I thought that was kind of interesting. Of like, I don't know what his day job was. I'm almost a little bit uh, uh, curious. I mean, uh, obvious. You know what they told us in Romeo and Juliet. He's a one nine hundred hunk. Obviously. Oh, oh, that's obviously what he does. <laughs> that's obviously what his day job has to be. He just works a day. He just works a day shift. Yeah. Um. All right. So after he dies, what 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 happens next? Uh, was it like? Uh, do we get some more? Um... We definitely get some more filmmaking scenes. It's also at some yeah. point around here we get um, uh, Lloyd Kaufman's character's backstory, which I want to touch upon. Yeah. Um, which his backstory, this is kind of like one of the few times we, uh, well, even though we keep mentioning all these scenes that don't take place on the film set, trust me, most of the movie is just all these little gags happening on a film set. Yeah. But, um uh, we get Lloyd Kaufman's back, character's backstory, which he was on a talk show representing himself, and that uh, his uh, wife, there was, what was it, there was, what's, what caused the stampede at the talk show? Um, it was a, was it a paternity test? No, no, no. He's on, like, a Jerry Springer-esque talk show. Yeah. And it goes horribly, horribly wrong. And I am totally spacing on what the inciting incident, incident is, which causes things to go wrong, which causes yeah. a stampede in which his wife uh, gets her head crushed and dies. Yeah. And their daughter was present and as very, very young and witnesses happen, which cause permanent 
Um, because the daughter character is the the little girl oh, right. character is um is is Lloyd Kaufman's real life daughter. But oh, okay. is it is it the daughter of him in the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then that's what caused that she has difficulty um speaking that caused like permanent mental development issues after yeah. watching the mom die in front of her on this talk show uh, set. And right. did you know that that's based on something that happened to Lloyd Kaufman? No. Yes, there was in the New York City in the 80s, there was a, um, a talk show called the Morton Downing Jr. talk show, which is kind of like a precursor to like um, uh, Jerry Springer and that like daytime trash stuff. And Lloyd Kaufman was on an episode promoting Troma's War, and they played a clip of it, and the host immediately turned on Lloyd Kaufman, accusing him of being, like, you know, a filth, a filth merchant, and saying his movies are without moral value, and all that stuff. And the audience wants, like, Lloyd Kaufman's blood, and Lloyd yeah. Kaufman's basically, like, saying, like, you're full of shit, no. And then they kick him off the show. But he refuses to leave. And the reason he refuses to leave, and he explains in interviews later, is the only way out from the stage is going directly through the audience. And oh, yeah. the audience is howling for his blood. His wife was in the audience at the time watching this all go down. So Lady Kaufman's essentially refusing to leave. Like, I'm not leaving. It's not safe for me to get off the stage right now. Yeah. And which then um, two bodyguards come and forcibly drag Lloyd Kaufman off the stage through the crowd. You can find oh this entire segment on uh, YouTube and other video hosting sites. This has not been lost of time. You can find, and it's like, it is crazy. It's like that fucking is crazy. And apparently, like, really, um, like, upset and, like, uh, traumatized uh, Lloyd Kaufman. And that sounds you traumatizing. Put, you put that I mean, scene, he's, yeah. Like, you put, I mean, put he's not, like... Yeah, I mean, he's not like a, you know, he's not like a super big guy. Like, so he's high size. I've met him. We're like the same height and same body build. We're we're little skinny people. Like, like we're tiny skinny people. Like a howling, a crowd howling for my blood, offended at me, thinking that like getting like dragged by like bodyguards. Like, yeah, that that would be very upsetting. That that would take me thinking of like, if this goes wrong, I could be dead in any moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's and frightening. So that scene really, like, that moment in his life really, like, impacted him, and that's where that scene in Terra Firma comes from. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I mean, like, like, Hoffman talks about it on the director's commentary, and then I was curious and Googled Martin Downey Jr. show, Lloyd Kaufman. Boom, videos are still on the internet right now. That's so great. <laughs> anyone that wants to see Lloyd Kaufman essentially get assaulted on live public access TV in New York City, it's on there. Wow. <laughs> oh, it was also the Halloween Day episode, so most of the audience is dressed up in costumes and wearing masks, which makes the whole oh, wow. situation even freakier and more upsetting. That sounds like a trauma movie, to be honest. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so then, um, so we get uh, Kaufman's character's backstory and. It's not the, like we're starting to get like, what happens next? Yeah. Um, yeah. You remember what the next death is in the movie by any chance? 
Is it the really elaborate one that incorporates the infamous car chase or car car crash? That happens a bit later. Um, okay. I think the next one is. I think the next one is the uh, actually the inciting incident where the film crew begins another danger. Isn't it the assistant director gets killed? I think I. So. The only black character in the movie. Oh yeah, 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 yep. That the assistant director gets one of the big. Um, movie spotlights it falls on him and electrocutes him slash burns his burns his entire head and yeah then he shits himself as he dies and one of the characters somebody off screen says look he's making pudding and then another character runs up and starts eating it and is like this isn't pudding <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> remember that happens yeah yeah so um, I, I believe this is around the time that the film crew is beginning to realize that there is uh, something really something going on, wrong. and and the film production is starting to break down even more. And it's somewhere around here that Lloyd Kaufman's character gives an amazing speech, and I want to I have it right here in front of me, and I want to read it. Yeah. Quiet, quiet, quiet. What's going on here? I'm the director. I am the director. I'm not saying that because I'm on some kind of ego trip or on some kind of bullshit artistic vision. I'm telling you this because I've been directing 10-cent movies for 30 years, and I think I know a bit about what I'm doing. And I know a little something about the world because I'm a 52-year-old manic asshole. It's a horrible <laughs> world. Starvation, dismemberment, torture, rape, cornholing. It's horrible out there. But it's worse here on the movie sets. It's much worse. We have danger and stupidity. I don't want someone dying on my set. If someone dies here, I'll blow out my brains. It'll be your fault. My career will be over, and it'll be your fault. Now I have to go around wiping your asses? Just let me know. I'll get some toilet paper and go around to each and every one of you wiping everyone's asses. Do you want me to wipe your asses? Everyone mumbles no. I don't believe you, but we better soldier on. Now let's make some art. It's great. It's great. I uh... love dialogue writing is fucking phenomenal yeah that is great dialogue uh did now who wrote this with uh kaufman oh, okay this is really interesting to bring this up here <clears throat> so the uh, it was co-written by lloyd kaufman um patrick cassidy he's somebody that i i tried digging into this guy i have no idea who he is he's only worked on a few trauma films this is his only writing credit and also co-written with Douglas Buck, who I was like, huh, that name sounds familiar. Where do I know that name from? And I clicked on his IMDb credits, and he is best known for After Terra Firma, um, making the Family Portraits trilogy, which it's um, mo it's a trilogy of short uh, films with its most – I'm sorry. I just looked at the dates. It actually was before, before Terra Firma, so he okay. did this um, – after Terraforming. They were assembled as family portraits as a standalone release after this. Okay, I see where I'm confused. Mm -hmm. But the most famous of um, his stuff is a short film called Cutting Moments, which is a very infamous short extreme yeah. horror film. They talked about it on that uh, That's Dark podcast, didn't they? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Same movie. Same movie. The guy that made Cutting Moments also co-wrote Terraformer. Cool. How about that for, like, a little weird, like, connection? He also did a um, segment in the Theater Bizarre Anthology film. Um, oh, which one did, was his? 
He did uh, The Accident is the name of it. I don't remember that movie That's, well enough to... Yeah, I, I remember that one. It's... Um was not my favorite segment, but that's that's okay. That's okay. They can't all be winners. <laughs> and he also did, which I'm not even sure if I heard of this, in the mid-2000s, there was a remake of Brian De Palma's Sisters, which he did. Really? Yeah. That's wild. I remember so, hearing that there was a remake of that. I didn't know that that was his, though. That's it was It was a guy who co-wrote Terra Firma. So, like, I was like, wow, that's an interesting little... Tangent, career, career tangent from that comes from like trauma and Lloyd Kaufman. Man, I know we just keep constantly finding more and more connections to all these other filmmakers as we go through this. I even have more to bring up in this movie. Cool, cool. And there's two other big ones to bring up that connect this movie, but we'll get to them. We'll get to them. Um, so, so we have that guy die. Um, we, and we are probably getting some of the order of events wrong. For everyone listening, yeah. I'm sorry if you're like, I remember this came before this. It's like, it's not really that important until you get to the last third of the movie. Yeah. It's, and, um, but now the crew's aware of like, hey, we're losing people. Like, and something's, something's happening. Um, oh, but after that, where, where, where do we go? Where do we go? Yeah, it's. It's hard to say. Like, I feel like there is, like, some... Did we get the... No, I think... There's got to be more, like... Oh! Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. I know. I know one thing we've got. So the... uh... Oh, God. Okay. I I remember enough to propel us forward into the last third of the movie. Okay, Okay, cool, cool. Because after the guy gets shot and killed... Isn't that what causes the chaos that leads to the infamous running through Times Square naked scene? Or is that a dip- Oh, no. It's the woman being shot in the tits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what causes the chaos, right? Yes. Yes, because there's a gunshot, and this guy is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, we'll just skip ahead. We might be missing something. I don't know. But um, there's another scene of... Uh, I meant to look her up because I was just curious if she was somebody because it seems like the type of thing that they give a uh, cameo to somebody known for. But um, there's a uh, big-breasted woman who's getting ready to do a nude scene. And um, she gets shot through the tits and her tits explode. And so we get exploding boobs in this movie as well. Um, I'm trying to look up here real quick if there's... I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, so we we so we get um, her tits explode, and we get um, uh, the the that just breaks out in the chaos with everyone running around screaming and that. And while this has been happening, uh, one of the heavier set PAs is preparing for a head crushing scene, and he's going to get a um, mold of his head done. And yeah. He's sitting by himself with the mold on, which is completely covering his uh, his head, so he can't hear or see anything. So he's unaware of anything going on. And while he's in this position, a woman starts giving him head because yeah. sempre deprivation is my kink. 
Uh-huh. And, oh, no, it's sensory deprivation really gets my juices going or my juices flowing. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. And so she starts randomly giving him head. And that leads to him <laughs> running through the set completely nude. Um, and, yes, you do see his, his, uh, his bits bouncing the entire time. Yeah, and yeah. him running offset, running down the street, and then we get a cut to of uh, um, uh, time actual Times Square. Yes, with yes. this naked man, naked fat man running around actual Times Square. Which in the behind the scenes things, you see that their film did get shut down by the cops. They were they yeah. got one take for it. And then the cops immediately intervened over like, no, no, no. And so all the people he's bumping into are actual cast members and people who work at Troma. All the people he's running past are all legit um, shocked <laughs> onlookers who had no idea they were in a movie. One of the people he bumps into while he's running around is then Troma production assistant and office assistant Eli Roth. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because he's credited as a stunned onlooker or something yes. like that. Yes. Yeah. Eli Roth is in fact in this movie, and that's where he's at. He's uh, wearing a um, a suit and a like a brown trench coat. So for everyone watching this and once you rewatch and try to spot Eli Roth in the movie, you know, and you can clearly see and like, yeah, that's Eli Roth. So prior prior to this moment, I would say that like one of the greatest feats of. Um, you know, um, an independent filmmaker doing something in a fame in a like, I don't know, famous important place would be the uh, the zombies outside the White House in Dead Next Door. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got to say, a naked man running through Times Square probably tops that. <laughs> and in the um, in the making of documentary, they show you how they go about it all and they're all aware of like we're we're gonna be shut down we got one because they actually have real permits and so there are actually uh cops on site as it's a film set um but it's such a small number of them and they don't need much stuff that they don't shut down any Times square traffic or that and you see them rehearse the scene several times with them being fully clothed of course of running through the crosswalk and they're setting up like the trauma extras so he can rehearse bumping into people but like i said um everyone he bumps into in the actual version you see on film all works with trauma in rehearsing it he did bump into one guy who wasn't a trauma person by accident and the guy in the rehearsal flips the fuck alan it's like an old italian guy that in new york city like chewing out the chewing out the guy now keep in mind he's fully clothed and so I'm so sorry. Um, we're rehearsing for a movie. We're filming right now. Like, so sorry. So, and the old Italian guy is just let him have it. He's walking yeah. away. Just keeps turning around and flipping him off and yelling at him. Oh my gosh! It's, it's pretty funny. And um, so then when they are going to do the actual film scene, they're like, we got one shot at this. And uh, <laughs> they cover him with a blanket. And while he's covered with the blanket, he takes off all of his clothes. And so then. They wait for the crosswalk sign to go on. Like, that's what they're waiting for. And they have the cameras oh, up and man. everything. And the crosswalk sign goes on. And it's like, go! And they take off the blanket. And he's nude with the secretary and starts running. Oh. And you see, like, like he bumps into the correct people he's supposed to. And there's this legit, like, people like, what is happening? And he runs down uh, the street <laughs> in Times Square. And 
when he reaches the ending point, which is actually, I don't think we actually see this in the movie. It's actually way more impressive in the behind the scenes, uh, mm. seeing what actually like happened. He makes a distance down, and there's like this strip of grass in the center of Times Square, and he yeah. hits that strip of grass. He rolls on top of that, and then he starts like jumping up and down with his fists in the air because it's like we did it, we did it, <laughs> and the whole crew starts applauding, and all the Truman people start applauding. Which then all the random New Yorkers around all start applauding as oh, well. That's awesome. So it's everybody applauding him running down Times Square awesome. naked, and then immediately the cops are there. You've got to stop. You, you're done for the day. You've got to go. <laughs> oh man, it is a glory. Like seeing the whole behind the scenes of how that was filmed is fucking glorious. That's awesome. Um, so we have that incredible scene. And he gets his head run over, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I saw you guys so caught up and running naked through Times Square. Yeah. I forgot which, that he gets gets his head. Oh, which is in this Another cut meta with, thing. Which is intercut with, um, actually, it's not that his head gets run over. It's while this is happening, the killer has gotten, um, is walk, essentially walking away from the murder she just committed. And she starts getting sexually harassed by two Frenchmen who are in a car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. pick her up, and she throws up on them. They start freaking out and erratically driving, which leads to them crashing their car. We get the trauma car crash scene, which we still haven't gotten to the movie yet that that scene's from, but we will. And then the yeah. car lands on the naked guy's head. That's what That's happens. right. That's right. Crushing yeah. his head, which is also, as you said, a little trauma in joke, evoking the original Toxic Avenger with the head crushing scene being one of the most notorious scenes from it. Yeah. Um, and then also earlier in the movie, there's actually a discussion on how they're going to do a head crushing by car special effect. There is a discussion mm-hmm. earlier in the movie about that. And then yeah, we see so that's head crushing by car. Yeah. God, there's like three levels of shit going on right there. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, yeah, there's a lot going on in it. It's, um, yeah, it's just a, yeah, multi-layer movie. Um, so, um, I feel like we should, unless there's another big scene that I'm forgetting, I feel like we should skip ahead to where Jennifer and Casey meet up back at Casey's apartment and the big reveal. Okay, yeah, yeah. Unless, unless there's, like, another major scene that I am forgetting. No, I think I think we're good. Yeah, I think, yeah. Oh, you know what? There's the, there's that death by bloody tampon at one point, you know. The, oh, which scene was that? She, like, pretends to be a prostitute. Keep going, keep going. she picks somebody up. I don't remember who the guy is that she picks up, though, and she takes him back to her room, and she's saying she's, like, a feminist prostitute, and, like, are you into oh, that? it's the ventriloquist. That's right. It's the ventriloquist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Remember, yeah. I've always wanted to have a threesome, and yes, it's yes. the guy that's ventriloquist dummy. Yes. Yeah. Who is one of the, like, film characters that's just in the background throughout the whole movie. He's he's a part of the crew, and I guess you like to assume he's, like, one of the characters in the movie they're filming. Because you right. do see him throughout the background the entire movie. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Um, God, there's just so much in the movie where I'm like, the ventriloquist and the ventriloquist dummy and this chick having the threesome isn't on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, oh, how could I forget that? And yeah, yes, you know, and, yeah. yeah. 
And then you know there's my, a lot going on in a movie if you forget a scene like that. <laughs> that's my bloody tampon is because she's on um uh she what well, no she doesn't believe in tampons remember because tampons oh, yeah, are right. the male patriarchy trying to hold back the flow of femininity. Oh, you there's know what? A, I'm like I'm I'm confusing this that I, I I'm confusing that with there's a scene in a I was I was watching clips from a movie called The Hood Has Eyes and there's a scene where the where this guy eats a bloody tampon. Oh, um, see, see for <laughs> everyone listening, this is how Lucas and I spend our free time is things like this. Yeah, <laughs> well, um, half watching it on my phone and half looking over my shoulder that my fucking kid doesn't see. What I'm <laughs> and see, it's like things like this that makes being uh, like child free so much. So much easier, like, for, for my interest. Yes. See, I just have to worry about my girlfriend coming into the room and her just being like, what are you fucking watching now? I'm like, yeah. they're firmer. And she's just like, uh, shakes her head at me and walks away. Yeah. Like, this shit again. I'm like, yeah, this shit again. I love it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, always like to re- I always like to remind her of, like, um, she went with me to one of the uh, Portland premiere of uh, Return to Newcomb High Volume 1, early in our dating and I was like I never hid from you what type of shit I was into like you knew you knew and you chose to stay with me <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah I oh god so I don't remember how the ventriloquist actually dies but I do remember the ventriloquist dummy is crucified yes yes I do remember that as well that, that and I his think his arm is cut off and then she crucifies the ventriloquist dummy yeah with the hand still inside um yeah, so that's just another random death. I mean, it's not like, you know, we get to the, um, yeah, we could, uh, yeah, I think we can go to the reveal from that's there. That's going to reveal, because that yeah. will, I think, propel us through the, uh, all the rest of the uh, scenes and behind interesting behind-the-scenes stuff. So mm-hmm. um, we get that through this chaos, um, for reasons I don't quite remember off the top of my head, you just kind of roll with this movie. It's just probably yeah. like that surrealist aspect that we brought up earlier in a, in the um, back cover description, that there's just constantly so much fucking going on that you stop almost trying to follow the movie and are just taking in every moment by every moment. It's a little disorienting. It's a very disorienting movie. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's easy to follow while you're watching it, but then if somebody asks you afterwards, okay, explain the plot beat by beat, like what we're doing right now, it is very difficult. Yeah, uh, definitely. So Jennifer ends up back at Casey's apartment because she's really distraught over everything that's going on and this very clear thing that the crew and everyone is being targeted by some sort of killer. And which we get revealed that Casey, uh, Casey's there. He's not really happy to see her. And he's in... Well, we, uh, have, we do have to clarify. The reason why is because she... Um, she just filmed a sex scene with uh, Jerry and got shit. real into it. Okay, shit. That's the scene that we're forgetting. That's a major yeah. scene that we're yeah, forgetting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, um, uh, oh, it's because the chick that got her tits um, exploded. Yeah, so, so she can Jennifer no longer to fill in. She can no longer shoot the sex scene. Um, the exploded tits chick can no longer shoot the sex scene she was supposed to with the Toxic Avenger. Oh, yeah. And the guy who plays the Toxic Avenger is also killed. Yeah. Yeah, he he dies in a uh, porta potty, and I forget the exact circumstances of his death, but he gets covered completely covered in shit. Yeah, <laughs> and all the crew members vomit. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's also a 
Oh, there's also a scene with everyone believing that their death is imminent is all hooking up with each other on the rooftop at night. Yep. Remember that? Yep. Which, interesting note, I think that scene is my first time ever seeing a same-sex couple make out in media. Yeah, that might be the same for me, too. That, like, we're talking about, like, like first... Oh, you know of- what? No, for me, it was probably Chasing Amy. I, I definitely saw this before chasing it. I I, 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 w- I was a Lloyd Kaufman fan before I was a uh, Kevin Smith fan. I definitely saw chasing Amy later. So this was okay. probably my first time seeing a same-sex couple uh, making out and yeah. it not being it not being a joke. The right. the joke in the scene is that Jennifer is wandering around, wondering through all these people hooking up, and she's lonely. That's the joke. The yeah. joke is not. Uh, the fact that it's two men and then later two women and then right. there's then there's threesome combinations, which <laughs> I guess is kind of a joke because it's like ratcheting up and that. But the real focus on the scene and what the real humor is is that she's lonely, right? Um, and uh, so both the Toxie and Toxie and Toxie's girlfriend's character are now dead, or the act actors playing them are dead, mm-hmm. and so then Jerry. And uh, Jennifer uh, both are get talked into filling the roles, yeah. and they're going to do a fake sex scene, and they're going to do a closed set, which ends up being everybody, including her parents, her third grade teacher. Uh, there's people in the rafters watching, <laughs> yeah. Because none of these two characters, the the people that they're playing, like have ever done a nude scene on camera before. Right. And this is the first nude scene, and there's just everyone watching. Which, by the way, I think is a little bit of a meta joke, because on the first day, and this is from the behind-the-scenes documentary, uh-huh. on the um, uh, first day of filming, this is when Lloyd Kaufman has learned to do all of his nudity scenes on the first day of filming. Because uh-huh. I've talked about before that he's run into issues, and so... Um, I've talked about in previous episodes about how Luke Kaufman actually has a strategy to filming nude scenes and that yeah. nude scenes are all done on the first day. That way, if somebody agreed to it and then they don't have an opportunity to back out, he has never surprised an actor with a nude scene, but he has had actors um, uh, Ask for sign, more up, and, yeah, yeah. sign up for nude scenes. And after they've already filmed portions of the movie, when it comes time for them to do the nude scene, Which, don't want don't want to do it in some fashion, and it's too late to get rid of them. And which for a guy like you know for for a studio like Troma, like that's that's a big deal. Like asking yeah. for more money, like that's you know that's not like yeah. The, the budgets are tight enough as it is. Things are blocked out in very specific ways, and it's also they and it's like well why not just not do the nude scene. Um, for a studio like this, part of the reasons, the selling point of these movies is seeing tits and dicks. Like, yeah. Yeah. like they need these people to do these nude scenes. Right. So in the behind-the-scenes documentary, there's actually, um, so the, uh, the I can see, I can see myself coming scene with yeah. a very attractive woman, I will say. Like, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, they do a closed set, and you see this in the behind-the-scenes documentary. And the closed set looks like the closed set 
in the sex scene that they do in oh. the movie. And in fact, I almost think they were kind of like rewriting it as they were filming of like, that was a bit ridiculous. Like, that's it, funny. Their close set is like, no joke, like 50 fucking people crowded around, including guys in suits, which I think are just like producers or investors. They're just allowed to do it. And then you see that all the actors are all literally getting on top of stuff to see the nudity better. Oh my gosh, that's funny. So the close set was not any sort of close set for the filming of the earlier, in the real world filming of the earlier scene. And then in the movie world, their close set has everyone watching them. And they really, really awkwardly do a quote-unquote sex scene together. And um, they call cut. And then they kind of, you know, they start laughing. Like, oh, we did it. We made it through it. And they kind of start losing themselves. And they start making out. And then then they start actually fucking. Um, Yes. At least in the movie's world, they're actually fucking. And then you see, like, like, like. The uh, camera operator is like, turn on, turn on, turn on. So they film it with them not knowing, which is like, oh, that's an interesting thing that, like, when I first saw this movie, like, as a teenager that, I distinctly remember that as a, uh, just just a joke that I didn't really think anything of. And now it's like, wow, that's a huge violation of, like, their consent and privacy. Because... They agreed to do a fake sex scene. They never agreed to have their actual sex filmed. However, right. they are fucking on a fully lit set in front. Like, no one's left. No one's, no one's going left. Every, yeah. Everyone is still just standing there. Yeah. And then yeah. when they fuck to both of them orgasming, the whole the whole cast and crew and production crowd, like, applauds them. And yeah. they yeah. in all fairness, they seem okay with things when it's all over of, like, I like, I like that it cuts the scene after that of, like, I can't believe we did that. I know. No one at ChillerCon's going to believe I was a Toxic Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, oh, and Chiller, Chiller Theater uh, is, is a real con up in that area. Yeah, yeah. They so, were referencing yeah. specifically a real convention that Tremo would go to uh, every year. That's fun. Um, um, so, yeah, we had that whole sex scene. <laughs> Yeah, which, yeah, leads to, like, you know, Casey getting all pissed off and, and you know, and so That's she... right. Casey gets pissed off and leaves. Yeah. She still kind of wants to repair things with Casey. Is that what brings her to his Yeah. Apartment? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So she eventually ends up at his apartment where he wasn't prepared to see her. And you know, I think you're right, because it's when he, she appears there, he's just in the bathrobe, and he's, like, losing his shit, which yeah. is what leads into the last act of the movie, of Casey losing his shit. Right. In that, um, uh, earlier in the movie, we discovered, we learned that he learned pickling from his dad, which, by the way, his dad in the flashback scenes, we forgot to mention this, where he learns pickling, is played by Ron Jeremy. He was, yeah. once again, somebody that um, was, like, an interesting figure when this movie was made. He has become very problematic. In case you were unaware, because the pandemic, when I say you, I mean anyone listening to this, in case anyone listening to this is unaware, because uh, the pandemic kind of, like, had this go to the background, Ron Jeremy is currently right now in actual jail with multiple really? rape charges against him. Yes, he's in prison right now. Holy Holy shit, I did not know that. 
Yeah, a... this happened during the beginning of the pandemic, so it got buried in the news. Damn. Oof. Are you looking it up right now? I see yeah, you. yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, like, be distracted. No, go, go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll keep going. You look up the charges against Ron Jeremy. It's on his Wikipedia page. Um, yeah. And so, um, so when she shows back up at Casey's apartment, uh, we then learn that uh, Casey's losing his shit, and we learn that not only has he they learned pickling from his father, he's pickled his father. And by that, he's yeah. been holding his father hostage for years in a cage in a back room in his apartment and has been slowly slicing off pieces of his body and pickling them, including yeah. one of his eyeballs, one of his, uh, his dick, um, his, some of his fingers. And then we see the, like, mangled, deformed Ron Jeremy. And so uh, do you have up there, like, what charges Ron Jeremy is currently facing? Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a lot of rape charges. I mean, there's like several. I mean, it's yeah, and he's yeah. currently in jail. He was charged with he was charged with four counts. Four counts, uh, okay, yeah, and he, he's actually being held wait, in jail. So yeah, yeah. which I gotta be hundred percent honest. Just like when that on the Tromeo and Juliet episode, it's like I never fucking got what the big deal was about Motherhead. I never got what was supposed to be cool about Ron Jeremy. Yeah, he just was a really prolific porn, porn star. star. I mean, yeah. But there's, but there's actually like legit cool porn stars. Um, yeah. Uh, Sasha Gray immediately comes to my mind. Um, well, I'm, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe Ron Jeremy got over the way he did because like he was ugly and was in the profession he was in. You know. Yeah, but like know. a lot of a lot of porn stars, especially in the male ones, are. Ugly, especially. I don't. I don't know. For some reason, he got like focused on. And, he got insanely famous for yes that. Yeah, he yeah. was like there was like a time in the nineties that he had like a cameo in like every single like R-rated comedy had yeah. a Ron Jeremy cameo in it, and there's numerous horror movies that have Ron Jeremy as a cameo. Um, fun fact: Ron Jeremy's actually in the original Ghostbusters. Really. When the Ghostbusters pull up to, um, so in the end of the Ghostbusters, when Gozar has taken over the apartment building and like on the top and the and um, the portal to the other world is being opened and the Ghostbusters show up and there's a crowd around the building cheering on the Ghostbusters. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ron Jeremy is one of the people in the front line of that crowd. Oh, that's wild. Man. In all fairness, they did not hire him on purpose. He literally just answered a random um, extra call in New York yeah. City for the day. And it just so happened it was for Ghostbusters. And he got placed wow. in the front row. Nobody knew who he was at the time. And like, it, it's not like the, it's not the cameo like this we're talking about where they purposely put Ron Jeremy in the movie. Sure, just, sure. just weird film fun fact. Ron Jeremy is, in fact, in Ghostbusters. Wow. That's <laughs> wild. This is what my head is filled with, and I have a hard time remembering my mother's birthday, but my I can tell you that Ron Jeremy was in Ghostbusters. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I relate. <laughs> um, so, 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 um, so then we also learn, going back to Terra Firmer, we also learn that Casey wasn't born male, but Casey was not born female. Casey was born both. Casey is a hermaphrodite. Yeah. And at his birth, his 
father made the decision if he should be uh, live life as male or female, which, as crazy as it sounds, is actually a thing that does happen in real life. Um, yeah. Hermaphrodite, uh, um, hermaphroditism. I don't know if that's how you pronounce. If you'd I say think, it, or, yeah. but hermaphrodites being born with both sets of genitals is a real thing that happens to a admittedly small percentage of the human population. And one yeah. of the things that is frequently done, especially, I don't know if it's continued to be done, but it was definitely true um, in decades past. Um, I mean, like up to very recently, it was definitely true, where doctors would ask the parents of what uh sex would you prefer to raise your child as and they would essentially then mutilate the non-corresponding genitals that's a real thing that happens yeah and so in this case casey's father chose for him to essentially have his dick cut off and to be raised as a little girl which then Mm -hmm. his father then proceed played by still played by ron jeremy Oh wow, this is going to get interesting here in a minute. Proceeds to then Oof. acknowledge that he's been raping her, as yeah. her as Casey as a little girl, and blaming her as a little girl. Like this is where um, pronouns are going to get very difficult here, and because yeah. as a little girl, I'm sorry, as young Casey was a little girl, but then as an adult, decided to become a man. Now there's probably a lot of people. Here being like, like, are they talking about trans issues? No, they're not in this movie. That I've seen a lot of people revisit. I was read a lot of write-ups of this movie, revisiting it in the past two years, and pretty much every write-up I read of it gave it a glowing review. But every write-up does mention, and I feel you have to, that this movie is very. It feels like it's very tone deaf in a lot of ways when it comes to this Casey character, especially because of how our culture has become much more open and accepting of trans people, but mm-hmm. they're not talking about trans issues in this movie. That this is right. not like Psycho, where our Silence of the lands, Lambs, where gender dys- dysmorphia is a driving force. This is a character that's literally supposed to be both male and female. And in fact, we learn during this reveal actively identifies as both and neither male and female. That is, mm-hmm. they describe it, they are a third sex. Yeah. And then and, you have, yeah. And so, um, so we learned the backstory, which is Ron Jeremy was raping his daughter, right. which it's like, hmm, that's, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we know. Yeah. Oh, and um, which, by the way, uh, those rape, sexual assault accusations against Ron Jeremy literally go back to the 80s. It's just now kind of post Me Too that people are finally fucking doing something about it, which is fucking wonderful. And yeah, and, yeah I was going to say, like, yeah, he's been charged with four, but I think it's like something like 20 like counts. Oh, there's women uh, or, in the, or 20 accusers. There's women in the porn industry that have been open for literally decades that they refuse to do anything remotely associated with Ron Jeremy because he raped them. Wow. And but just no one would ever take it seriously. Yeah, that's shitty, man. That sucks. So, so we have uh, Casey, and then in this reveal, Casey also reveals that they are the killer. That the uh, super sexy 
woman we've been seeing this whole movie is in fact Casey in drag, which or Casey cross-dressing or however you want to put it. Though for the record, uh, when they filmed all those murder sequences, that actually is a woman. Right. Um, yeah. In that outfit, in the serial killer outfit. It's not, it is not, um, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Will Keenan. Will Keenan, thank you. It's not Will Keenan. Will Keenan cannot pass as both that attractive of a man and that attractive of a woman at the same time. <laughs> is in fact an attractive woman, and Will Keenan is just an attractive man. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we have this big reveal, and which then we he then reveals his. Do we get a shot of his genitals in this scene, or is it later when he ra- when he attacks the film set that we that we see its genitals? So I know we see him in shows, the film set. He shows her, or or um, Casey Jennifer. shows her, but doesn't show us. Okay, yeah. So we, we don't get the visual reveal. To, okay, yeah. so he reveals that in fact that he has a uh, vagina and he now has a stub of a penis, yeah. and he overpowers Jennifer and then proceeds to start raping her, yeah. which then leads into the most controversial moment of this entire movie, the most bad taste moment of this entire movie moment I have been alluding to this entire recording. And at the end of last week's episode, the actual life-affirming rape scene, which happens yeah. now, where yeah. Jennifer character remembers what happened in the script and the strategy, because she's over physically overpowered in how to defeat a rapist. I don't even know how I'm going to say this all out loud. Yeah. I'm sorry, everyone. This is a movie. Um, <laughs> and that she she then begins get like while well, he's raping her, to then starts essentially being like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, give it to me, oh yeah, oh yeah, which throws him off his game essentially. Game's not the right yeah. word at all. Throws him off his violent sexual assault, and she then manages to flip him over, and she starts riding him, and she starts like really getting into it. While yeah. he then starts screaming, no, stop, stop! Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this yeah. to me? With essentially him being raped, um, my God, I can never run for political office after this episode. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. And yeah. and she reaches orgasm and leaving yep. him in a crumbling, crying ball. Yeah. And... So, Lucas, the rape-affirming life scene. I feel like we got to talk. <laughs> Gotta talk about this. This is actually shown on camera. So I, I gotta correct you. You totally just said rape affirming life scene. Oh god damn it! <laughs> <laughs> the life affirming oh, rape scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was one of the things that stuck with me the most from the first time I saw it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, because I was like. It, it, you know, it was one of those things that, like, while I doubted and still doubt that it plays out in the movie, like, how, how how it does in the movie, I was like, I mean, I could see that working, you know? I, I, and that's the thing, it's, it's, it is, like, based on fundamental psychological concepts of why men 
actually rape women. That rape is not about sex. It's about power. It's not about pleasure. It's about power. And that is what it's a play on. There's no taking, like, the most... It's taking that logic and putting such an extreme, perverse spin on it. That, like, when he's like, could see a play on, like... I don't, it's like, I don't know if anyone's ever been in a fucking position to try. This only works because it's a fucking movie. Um, right. And it is, though, like, it is one of, still to this day, one of the most distasteful scenes I have ever seen in any movie ever. And, and this and is I a fucking movie that is I like, full. I, yeah. Oh yeah, no, and I I do love it as well. I mean, I was gonna say like it's it stands out as distasteful in a movie that is full of distasteful moments. Like so, it, it's just it this like achieves it on like distasteful on such a pure fundamental uh, like philosophical level distaste. Yeah, yeah. Of of a of a woman being raped and turning it around into a scene in which she then gains power and sexual pleasure from it. And where then the rapist is reduced to the one being raped and feeling as they are being violated. It is the very fact that Lloyd Kaufman thought or (laughs) Douglas Buck or Patrick Williams, whoever came up with this idea, the fact that one of them came up with this idea and the other two were like, yeah, let's fucking do it, is just, wow, wow. It, I've got to say it, pro- it, 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 it's either Lloyd or it's, or it's, uh, Douglas Buck. Yeah, because of the, you know, cutting moment, cutting moments is the name. Cutting moments, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree um, with you. I feel it has to be one of the two of them. Yeah. Although who knows, uh, Cassidy, whatever the fuck his name is, could, oh, could also uh, Pat, be. A real... I, I think it was shit. I think it was um, uh, Patrick. Oh, sorry, Patrick Cassidy. I said Patrick Williams before. I'm sorry, yeah. Patrick Cassidy. Um, yeah. Patrick Williams is actually a YouTuber that I love. I'm sorry, Patrick Williams. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's a and very yet... wholesome guy. He would not come up with this. The YouTuber, I mean, yeah. would never come up with this. But they they did that. They did that in this movie. And this movie is 1999. It's over 20 years old. Like it's still that scene is still shocking. Watching that play out, yeah. it was like when I was watching a rewatch for this for this week. I'm like, man, holy shit, they fucking did that. Wow. Yeah. But uh, and yet we love it. You know this movie <laughs> no, and, and that it. scene. Um, it's, yeah, uh, I think this scene is great. It is so distasteful. It is so perverse. It is so offensive. And I fucking love it. Yeah. I make, I make absolutely zero apologies for fucking loving this movie and everything this movie brings to the table. Yeah. Um. You wouldn't apologize for some of this movie? You seem to be like, ah. Uh. No, it's, I, I'm actually trying to determine if, if like there's like, if like discussing why we like stuff like this or, or is 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 too deep for this podcast <laughs> i mean i you know what i think i think maybe at some point as we get like even further into some of these movies like we still haven't gotten to blood sucking freaks yet which yeah. i argue is a purely misogynistic movie and i still really like the movie um 
like after we do some more of these more offensive ones, we still need to do Bloodsucking Freaks. We still need to do Father's Day. Um, after we do a couple of these, maybe we should do like some sort of episode that is just us having a conversation of like how do we justify this art. I think about shit like that a lot, dude. Like, I mean, so I, I um, like uh, I unapologetically love Cannibal Holocaust. So do I. One of my even, very favorite horror movies. Even while I was a vegan and really bothered by what happened to the animals in that movie, I still would tell people it's it's a great movie. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, I, I consider that movie a masterpiece, and I get all the reasons why people are upset by that movie and yeah. are um, offended by that movie, and I still think it is an artistic masterpiece. And I would argue the same thing with Tara Fromer. I think this is very an art... It's, this is a masterpiece in bad taste, and that yeah. is what is it, – it's explicitly trying to be that. And so I argue, like, its artistic statement is we want to piss off and offend everybody. Um, yeah. And so I think it succeeds on its artistic statement. Yeah, uh, I would say – I would definitely say so. Because <laughs> Jesus Christ, this thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then we, uh, after so Jennifer then makes it back to the film. Yeah. Believe it or not, that is not the end of the movie. (laughs) No, this movie still keeps going. This still keeps fucking going. (laughs) Yeah. So she goes, uh, she runs back to the set and basically says, uh, Casey's crazy and he's coming for us all. Um, and he does, he shows up with a, bomb a homemade bomb yes and and he has debbie roshan hostage who how did she get her nose smashed fuck i forget that i forget forget too i I remember her her nose nose smashed oh my god we we've also barely mentioned that like debbie roshan is one of the um uh, actors in this movie like one of the many many people that is just on set filming that is yeah. just in the background throughout the entire movie. Debbie Rashawn is one of the people, and um, who's of course in Tromeo and Juliet, yeah. and plays a nanny in Tromeo and Juliet. Uh, looks way way sexier in Tromeo and Juliet than she does in this movie, though. I'll yeah. say because yeah. she's got the tattoos and piercings in the other movie. I got a I got a fucking type. I can't help myself. No, totally, totally um, so, understand. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> So she's in this movie, and um, but she's a background. She's really more of a background character. Yeah. Um, but she gets her nose crushed at some point, which, oh, fuck me, I forget. It's like an effect goes wrong or something. It's one of during one of the yeah. many filmmaking scenes, and something yeah. goes wrong, and she gets her nose crushed, which her nose gets smushed and swells out to be in the shape of a penis. Yes. <laughs> So anyway, uh, now that she's got a penis nose, she is being she, she held gets, hostage. Hostage by Casey, who is now has a bomb and wants to kill the entire crew. And the reason we then find out, which leads to this amazing, amazing exchange, mm-hmm. is that Casey is believes that the filth, the trauma, is putting out into the world is making the world a worse place. And that his goal is to shut down Troma Studios and to kill everyone so they do not spread this filth to everything. To quote an exchange here, Casey says, 
the perversion must end. Family values must be saved. To which Debbie Rashawn being held hostage screams, No! This is a trauma movie! <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yes. Which is essentially the thesis statement of this movie. Yeah. That's essentially the thesis statement here. We're in Act 3, everything's coming to a head, everything's about to come to a close. That's that's the thesis of this movie, is this is trash, this is filth, this is trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he, I guess he, uh, Casey confesses uh, love for, uh, Jerry. for Jerry. The special effects artist who's been trying to get Jennifer. In fact, yeah. um, he's been trying... To, Casey's been trying to get close to Jerry. Don't, you know, honestly, movie scenes don't really hold that up. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of disjointed in that, yeah. in that it's, respect. It's kind of out honest. of nowhere. It doesn't really make sense in terms of how we've seen all the characters and their acting up to this point. There's no right. hints about that this is what Casey actually wants. But right. whatever, I'm just going to roll with this. Just going to roll as with I, it. As I said in the movie, um, uh, Larry Benjamin, a.k.a. Lloyd Kaufman, Hates the C word. What? Continuity. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Remember, that's an that's a exchange. Like, uh-huh. So, uh, the film crew then works together doing a whole bunch of little callbacks, which is too much to explain um, verbally. But throughout the entire movie, we keep mentioning that there's all these little filmmaking scenes. Yeah. All the people in the production use all the little filmmaking scene knowledge to band together and overpower slash outwit uh, mm-hmm. Casey and get the bomb uh, away from them. And the bomb goes rolling and Lloyd Kaufman's character as a director does a like majestic jump on top of the bomb or to blow. get the bomb to save everybody, but accidentally rolls on top of the bomb. Because what Lloyd Coleman's character intends to do is to grab it and throw oh, it, yeah. but accidentally lays on top of it. And then Lloyd Coleman's character explodes and blood and guts and limbs flying. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's a hell of a movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, how, so uh, then Jerry gets stabbed in the head. Yeah, that's right. And um, then Casey and gets that, lit on fire. Which which is done by um, well actually no before Jerry gets stabbed in the head, Casey gets lit on fire. The um oh that's right I remember now I remember now exactly what happens. So first Jerry takes a fat PA pulls down his pants makes him fart lights the fart <laughs> which then ignites Casey's Casey's character on fire. This which, is a real movie, guys. Like, if you if you stumble on this podcast and you're not a trauma fan and you're listening to this, thinking we're making this up, like, no, this is a real movie. <laughs> who then gets all burned up, but manages to survive the blaze, and then gets the little girl character enraged by her father, the director, being killed, grabs the boom mic and spins it around. And charges with like not the boom end, not the mic end, but the other like like yeah like the blunt end yeah and impales Casey through his slash hers vagina and comes out the back and then that's how Casey is killed yeah and which yeah I mean and, 
And then Jerry, though, in between the impalement, has been stabbed in the head with a knife. But we actually see he survives, but he has some sort of brain damage or he has some, um, like, uh, physically operating problems, but he's still mentally all there. And then we do a flash forward to the entire cast and crew that have survived this serial killer on their set. Their director is dead. And um, Jennifer is trying to argue to everyone of like, uh, we like I want to be the director. I want to take over. Oh, and yeah. Jerry gives a really impassioned speech about also one of the political statements of this movie, essentially that right wing mega conglomerates have taken over the entire world. And it's our duty as artists to be independent and make a stand against the right wing values being peddled. And like, it goes very serious at the end. And it's and, and yeah. very explicitly leftist, and yeah. and uh, it's like we need to stand up to these companies and 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 her character, I'm sorry, uh, Jerry's character and Jennifer's character, like, will you help us finish this movie? And everyone stands up and cheers, yay, yay, yay! And then they start, and the movie ends with them filming it, and they're having problems on set. And I forget exactly what Jennifer's character says, but something like fuck, like perfect, like I fucking hate movies or something like yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it's very funny because she's now a, she's now the director and pissed off at everybody. Yeah. And then that ends terror firmer. Then credits roll. Then we get more scenes in the credits of them trying to film the movie, if I recall correctly. I don't think that's in the version I saw. There's more scenes in the credits. I don't remember if it's them. Yeah, it's them trying to film the movie. There oh. might be the other two minutes missing. That might be the other two minutes missing because all I got was the trauma fun facts and the weird credit you guy. Did, you didn't get any scenes in the credits. No. That's the other shit missing that we didn't know. Yes. Yeah. There's other scenes of them trying to finish a movie with Jennifer getting pissed off at everybody. Yeah, no, I definitely didn't see that. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Now we finally going through the entire movie. It's ironically the very beginning and the very end is that's cool. Let's cut out. That's fun. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that's that's and crazy. We gotta address the credits also, where credits guy from Tromeo and Juliet returns and yeah. still uh, asking for uh, you know you know basically putting out want ads. <laughs> Who then gets midway through the credits fired and replaced by a new credit guy. Who, and they're like, this one's gay. And then he starts putting up one to that in the yeah, credits. Yeah. Which is absolutely hilarious. So they're right back to the same problem with the credits guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, they, they, they even, uh, they even thank the police despite the, uh despite getting shot down after one take <laughs> oh which which you'll see if you watch farts of darkness the behind the scenes documentary on it uh the new york city nypd uh shut down uh their filming on at least like three or four different occasions oh, they wow. were repeatedly hassled by the cops in fact there's a great scene of um lloyd kaufman ranting to uh pat who is his wife and it's all calling camera, and he's ranting about those fucking pigs over there just shut us down. And, and it's like this is real life Lloyd Kaufman talking to his wife, and he's like, "There's fucking pigs." And I'm like, "That's so I love, funny." I love you, Lloyd Kaufman. I love you. 
Uncle Lloyd. That's why he's Uncle Lloyd to all of us. Yes, yes. <laughs> Man. Yeah. In case anyone wondering, listening, uh, can't tell, I hate the police as well. So, yeah, fuck the pigs. <laughs> ACAB, motherfuckers. It's lovely. Um, We're losing so many listeners this episode. Yeah, this this <laughs> is like, yeah, this... <laughs> That's all right. That's fine. Um, so, oh man, so that is like <laughs> fucking terra firma. Um, I, I got like like two more little things to bring up. One, we skipped over one of my favorite fucking scenes in the entire movie. That oh. is how much is this movie. The scene that makes me crack up the most is the interrogation scene. That after they're aware that there's a murderer on set, the police bring in everyone working on the set. And there's this great scene of the police interrogating everyone on set. And the camera keeps cutting from all these different interrogations. And everyone is just giving great one-liners. And it's all based yeah. off of, like, the question of, where were you last night? And, like, my favorite answer was, I was killing uh, crew members on an independent film. Not this one, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And it ends with, uh, that interrogation scene ends with, um, uh, Lloyd Kaufman's character being, uh, interrogated, and he's like, like, am I free to go? It's like, no, we have to keep up our quota for police brutality, and they hold up a plunger. Do you know what that's in reference to? No. That's in reference to a real-life thing that happened in the 90s in New York City, in which police, during an interrogation of a person who was later found, um... Actually, I don't want to say they were later found to be innocent because I don't know if that's true or not off the top of my head. Yeah. I just know that during the interrogation scene, uh, police officers sodomized a person with the wooden end of a plunger. Holy shit. That was a real thing that happened in New York City. That scene, that's what that scene's making a joke about. <laughs> Look, guys, cops are not your friends. <laughs> <laughs> I know and, sometimes... You, you might be tempted to call them, but uh, just just think twice. Just think twice. <laughs> and so did you notice throughout the movie there is a character in the background who I believe has no speaking lines in the movie, but there's a one of the people working on set who is putting clothespins on his face, and he gets progressively more and more clothespins on his face until the end, until the end scene when they're in the movie theater and they're doing the yay speech of let's finish this. And there's a guy sitting with his entire head and all of his hair covered in clothespins. Do you know that at all? Know. No. Okay, it's a joke that happens in the background the entire movie. That's Joe Lynch. Oh, shit. Who, for anyone who's seen it, Long Turn 2, um, uh, uh, Mayhem, um, Nights of Bad Astom. Uh, also, um, one of the two hosts of the Movie Crypt podcast, which is a phenomenal horror interview director podcast. Um, yeah, that's Joe Lynch. Cool. That was the that's other. Awesome. That was the other little like weird cameo yeah, thing. So, yeah. Because he was he was a PA at Trauma. That's how he started. And I so, love that. So shit, that is Terry Farmer. Holy fuck. Uh, yeah, that is, uh, Jesus Christ. What a movie, man. <laughs> and there's still a few couple other things I know we said we wanted to talk about. Um, should we talk about yeah. the of this movie first? 
the different versions? Uh, the R-rated version. Yeah, the R-rated version. Yeah, so, um, yeah, there's a 93-minute uh, cut of the movie, I believe. Um, yeah, it's, it's in the yeah. 98, 98, I believe. So it's like a half uh, an hour missing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's uh, a lot of the more in-your-face scenes. Uh, <laughs> they did a re- they, It was a really creative way of editing the movie. Um, yeah. You know, they had, like, during the Cunnilingus scene, you have uh, Lloyd Kaufman. Like, it just cuts to Lloyd Kaufman eating a slice of pie, you know? <laughs> just oh, like... and then my favorite was, and I remember this when I first saw it, is, the, like, and then they do a second cut, and he's just holding up a cardboard box, chewing on the corner of it. Oh, yeah, you know, that's eating right. Box. Yep. Like, yeah. like, oh, that is a crass, hilarious joke right there. Yeah. Um, which um, was... In case you're wondering, like, why was there an already cut? This was at the height of things of, like, Blockbuster and Hollywood video. Yeah. And yeah. they could not get an unrated movie. And <laughs> there was no way the MPAA was going to ever give this anything other than X rating, no matter how much they cut out. So rather than cut things, well, they did cut out a half an hour worth of movie. But then in addition to that, they also covered all the scenes of really explicit sex and violence and had Lloyd Kaufman himself acting out the things, which is essentially just him with just everyday items around pretending of what's happening. I rented this movie from Hollywood Video, and this is my first exposure to trauma. And when I first saw this, I thought that's how the movie was supposed to be. And I thought it was hysterical, and that was like a really interesting way of a no-budget filmmaker to do something, though I very, very quickly learned that there was an unrated cut, and I um, I saw the unrated pretty much, I'd say, within, like, two or three months of me seeing the R-rated. I bought the so, DVD and then saw the unrated one. Somehow I didn't realize until recently that there were two unrated versions, like, yes. which the two that we watched this time. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the one that's on Troma now and then the one that's on the Blu-ray. Um which is interesting. Which um, I have you no, know, I've oh, the version I've seen that us talking through, we kind of figured out there. It's just it, it's it's the eight minute opening one shot of everyone being introduced. Which why that was cut, I have no idea because it yeah. literally introduces every character. That's every character's introduction scene. Yeah, and then and then more filming stuff at the very end of them trying to complete the movie. Yeah. And all those things sound like good to include. I have no idea what what that's about. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so I guess the uh, we don't have an, a write-up in the book on it because, um, nope. yeah, because it came out after the book. This was the first trauma movie after that book came out, and the book is credited as being the inspiration for the movie. And, in fact, you see several characters – throughout Terra Firma reading the book. Um, all I need to oh, know about filmmaking I learned from Toxic Avenger. That's cool, because it's like a... Um, it's interesting that they're saying it's inspired by, but it's like... I mean, it's, you know, it's a book of... It's, it's a book of behind-the-scenes stories, and yeah. I could see them... Like, like nothing that happens in Terra Firma has anything to do with the book. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, f- I figured, I figured. 
Um, um, like I also want to address the soundtrack for this movie. Yes, I mentioned in the beginning. This okay. So I always like I, I believe I brought up on the show. Maybe I haven't, but um, horror filmmaking is like always like metal and horror always go hand in hand. It seems. And yeah. I am not a metal fan. I don't like metal at all. I, I, I like music that has a fucking groove I can uh, dance to or a fucking, uh, uh, a fucking chorus I can sing along to, which means I'm sure. a punk fan. I love fucking punk music. And to me, like, trauma horror filmmaking that allows people with no resources to create something, no resources, no technical ability that can create something and have it be beloved by the fan base is fucking punk. That ain't metal. Metal is learning how to do intricate guitar solos. Punk is you learn one chord and you fucking smash it out and you put like <laughs> a fucking catchy slug on this. This, unlike Tromeo and Juliet soundtrack, this soundtrack is a fucking punk rock soundtrack. Right. We have, all- as, as I mentioned before, like the only metal band on the soundtrack plays 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 in a punk style on this particular. Yeah. yeah, we have the Luna Chicks, who we totally forgot that there's actually a party scene with the Luna Chicks in this movie. That Ooh. is, the movie breaks out into a music video at one point. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, that's like, right. First base, second base, all the way home. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. a great song, which is a song called Gone Kissing by the Luna Chicks. We got the Bouncing Souls are in this. Down by Law, um, Anti-Flag, the Vandals, all um, flip. And I've got to give um, Catch-22 is in this. Uh, Blood for Blood, No Effects, VOD, a.k.a. Vision of Disorder. And I've got to give a huge special shout-out that Two Man Advantage is in this movie, which Two Men Advantage is a punk band that I used to see all the time when I used to live in uh, Pennsylvania, Baltimore, D.C. era area, cool. and they're a hockey-themed joke punk band in which they're essentially a nine-person band of which only four is on stage, and the <laughs> other four are in the crowd to have, keep a mosh pit constantly going. Two of them keep the pit constantly going, and the other two help block anyone who doesn't want to be in a pit from getting hit. And the whole band wears full hockey gear other than helmets for their entire performances, and all their songs are all these super catchy sing-along punk songs about hockey. And I don't have any interest in hockey whatsoever, but they are amazing, amazing live show. I love Two Man Advantage, and they're they're on the soundtrack. I mean, that's that's a fucking punk rock soundtrack like anti-flag only had out their first album at the time like people know anti-flag is like a mainstream like borderline pop rock act now but they were like an underground anarchist band uh sure punk band at this time and the soundtrack is fucking amazing i i love it in fact like after the entombed doing a punk version of american grace the immediate next song that plays is um, Catch 22's one two three four one two three four, which and nice. which is the first time ska appears on a trauma soundtrack. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. I love the soundtrack, and this further confirms of like like trauma is punk as fuck, and like what they do, like <laughs> what they do is the punk DIY ethos. Yep. Hell yeah, dude. Um... 
<laughs> I mean, I don't have to ask if you recommend this movie. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty fucking obvious. <laughs> we didn't recommend this movie. I, I mean, I mean, on one hand, I want to be fucking obvious about it, but on the other hand, it's kind of hard to recommend this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's true. I um, wouldn't recommend it as someone's first trauma movie. Um, but I'd be like, like if it's somebody like, oh, like I love South Park. Um, I love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but I've never seen a trauma movie. Then yeah, I'd be comfortable recommending uh, Terra Firmer to them and be like, and like if you love trash filmmaking, if you love exploitation, if if you really dig that shit and you haven't seen Terra Firmer, this needs to be immediately number one top of your list. Like yeah. this is a unmissable movie. This is a fucking genius movie yeah um i definitely wouldn't recommend it to just anybody that's for sure but um but yeah no i mean uh if for some reason you're into like just just really in your face um over the top splatter and like offensive jokes um i would definitely recommend it um but you, have I, to, you have to be comfortable with a non-stop barrage of blood, gore, vomit, shit, tits, dicks. Yeah. And, and like, <laughs> and it's just non-stop. Which I yeah. also just realized we forgot one of the biggest, most infamous scenes from the movie. What's in that? The, in, in the post-credits. Matt Stone and Trey Parker's Hermaphrodite Awareness PSA. That's true. That's true. Shout out Trey and Matt. That's <laughs> and Trey Parker, creators of South Park, uh, long trauma history with Campbell the Musical, um, made a fake PSA with Lemmy from Motorhead narrating it about uh, hermaphrodite rights, which ironically, and like I said, don't confuse us with like our current day trans issues that is being politically discussed. It's not what they're talking about. But there's little foreshadowings of it with hermaphrodites being banned from bathrooms is a yeah. joke that they make, which turned into a real-life political debate with trans people over which yeah. bathroom they should use. I just found that interesting. No, it's, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's very uh, prescient, I guess. Is that, am I saying that word right? <laughs> I believe you're saying that. I believe that's how it's okay. pronounced. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I'm sorry. I, uh, so yeah, so we, you, you, would you recommend it? Uh, uh yeah. I mean, on a case by case basis. <laughs> and I feel that's like, like what I have to say of like, if, if you're going to love this, you have to be a specific type of person and you're going to fucking love this movie. Yeah. Otherwise, oh my God, I still kind of want you to see it anyway, just so I can read the offended right up afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah get the think piece we need to talk about lloyd kaufman <laughs> <laughs> where i'm kind of like i agree we do we do need to talk about like kaufman we do. He's a fucking genius yeah. need to talk about him more <laughs> uncle lloyd <laughs> um yeah so do you have any any other thoughts that would be on the I... I yeah. think I address absolutely everything I wanted to say or bring up about this movie. I just fucking love this movie. This is it's, one of my all-time favorite movies. It's bana- It's a bananas movie, man. I, I just, uh, even like, 
Yeah, just the fact that like I'd seen it before, and it, and and I think you you expressed a similar experience. Um, you'd seen it before, but it was still shocking revisiting yeah. it. Like, yeah, <laughs> just man. Like I, I I had seen it more times I could fucking count. Like when I was a teenager, and like when I was in college. Like this is one of my favorite movies to like like throw on unsuspecting onto unsuspecting college friends and be like, here, I got some fucking crazy to show you. And I turn yeah. to firmer and by the end, they always go, what the fuck was that? Like, uh-huh. right. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, and I just fucking adore the movie. Um, though, like I said, it's probably been at least eight years since I last saw it. And wow. Wow. Revisiting it. It's just like, it, it was everything I remember to be and kind of a bit more. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so what are we doing next week? Okay, to break the podcast veil a little bit, we are, um, Lucas and I had actually had a discussion in a, before this episode, legitimately for all the episodes before and probably for all the episodes upcoming, we legit figure it out on recording. But this time, I'm actually going to be out of town. I am going to the Oregon coast. And so I wanted to discuss with Lucas in advance, which we did via text message over what we're going to watch next, because I'm still going to record an episode while I'm on the coast. And um, uh, I just want to make sure it's something that I didn't need to like order in advance to make sure that I, I had like, like director's commentaries or shit like that to really do my due diligence as best as I can. And Lucas pitched, very aptly, since I'm going to the Oregon coast, <laughs> Surf Nazis Must Die, which I have never seen. I am a huge trauma fan, and this is one of the movies always associated with trauma. And believe it or not, I've never seen Surf Nazis Must Die. And as of this recording, I have it now. I haven't watched it yet, but like, um, I'm psyched to finally check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's been a really long time for me. So I, uh, and I, and I hardly remember it. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to revisit it and talk about it next week. Um, yeah. So, um, the first movie we've done on this show so far that Lucas did not see ever before was the mother's day remake. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. This is going to be my first, this is going to be our first movie covering on the show that I have not seen before our episode. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, this is going to be a good time. Uh, so, yeah, thanks uh, thanks again, as always, and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you fucking made it to the end of this, like, we're right now over two hours fucking talking about Terra Firmer, and if you have not, like, turned us off out of boredom or absolute disgust, I <laughs> applaud you. You are one of us. Uh, <laughs> please keep listening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, I do want to say, um, so we finished the last episode of, uh, when I talked about the, I had like, we were trying to figure out what movie to watch. So we had like a, uh, uh, re- you originally pitched Tales from the Crapper. Yeah. And I was like, I had a package from Troma that was like essentially lost in the mail for weeks and being bounced around. I finally received it today. So I finally got like a giant stack of Blu-rays and DVDs from Troma. I'm so excited, so I just wanted to publicly state, because I was like, if someone in that trauma is listening to this, I'd like my movies, please. Now I can oh, yeah. say, if someone from trauma is listening to this, 
Thank you for my movies and my TV shirt. I really wanted them. Thank you so very much. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> so if you're still listening also, we do have Facebook and Twitter pages. You can find us on Twitter, um, like under Make Your Own Damn Podcast on Facebook. They wouldn't let me put damn in the name of a page. Even so, though it's still on the URL, weirdly enough. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's on the URL, but they wouldn't let me title the page at. So uh, I believe it comes up of Make Your Own Troma Fancast. Yeah. And though I believe you probably search for Make Your Own Damn, Damn Podcast as well. You can buy. But we got a Facebook page now. We got a Twitter page. Please give us a like and a follow. There's no one liking, liking and following us yet. We're lonely people desperate for friends. Please, yes. <laughs> please follow us online. We're sad. Please. All right. I think that's everything I got. Awesome. <laughs>